Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Filmcast, a podcast about movies. I'm David Chen, and it turns out busting does not make you feel good. <laughs> Joining me today is Devendra Hardwar. I ain't afraid of no ghost of a franchise that can never reclaim the magic of its first movie. Wow. Well done. <laughs> and Jeff Kanata. This illustrious podcast represents the last of the petty cash. <laughs> Slow down. Chew your words. Those are, of course, all references to the fact that today on the podcast, we're going to be reviewing Ghostbusters Afterlife uh, with Dan Merle. Uh, he of Dan Merle YouTube fame, one of my favorite critics. Look forward to that conversation. I think it's going to be a fun one. You can find more episodes of this podcast at thefilmcast.com. Email us at slash filmcast at gmail.com. If you want to support the podcast, very easy to do that by going to patreon.com slash filmpodcast. But first, before we get to our review, we got some what we've been watching and some weekly plugs. Of course, you can always let us know what you want us to watch by using the hashtag slash tag. This week, let's start with a couple things I watched. I'll start with King Richard, a movie that debuted on HBO Max and in theaters, made around $5 million at the box office this weekend. Devinger, Ooh, I think a you new Shakespeare out, adaptation? Right? No, sadly, it's not. Uh, Devinger, Starring also, Will Smith. Amazing. Yeah, Will Smith. New Will Smith movie, right? So, uh, Devinger, you watched this as well, right? Yes, I did. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so this is the uh, a, a film that's kind of a biopic about Serena and Venus Williams' father. And it's kind of about all the extraordinary dramatic steps that he took in order to position his children for greatness. Uh, I thought this movie was pretty good. Will Smith is pretty good. I think that it hews a little bit too closely to kind of underdog sports movies cliches for me mm -hmm. to really feel like it was a great movie. You know, like it's very um, much a sports movie. Yeah, it's very much a sports movie, right? And I think that Will Smith is probably a little bit too likable to be this character because like he's playing somebody who's clearly very a, a difficult person right mm -hmm. and it's he's explicitly referred to that way in the film um and uh and so i think he does a great job but it, it, it was missing a little bit of a of a harder edge i think that this character might have needed uh but overall the movie still really got to me you know i still mm -hmm. was very moved by it and it's an extraordinary story and the thing that I'm left with watching a movie like King Richard is you really get a sense and appreciation of how behind every superstar, uh, tennis superstar, chess superstar, whatever, is a whole system of people, of individuals, of whatever that are supporting them, building them up, encouraging them that as the public, we often never get access to. And I think a movie like this really gives you an appreciation of something like that. So mm -hmm. overall, I ended up liking King Richard on HBO Max, um, but uh, I didn't think it was like amazing or anything. And, and I will say the tennis, pretty solid, pretty solid mm -hmm. tennis uh, sort of the The girls, well. the yeah. girls who play young Serena and Venus Williams are incredible Excellent. because they, they had to train to look yes. like they could play like those folks. And you can't fake it, right? You can't just the, do CG balls. You can't just cut away. <laughs> like you have to show wide shots you know, uh, long takes and it yes. looks good. Yeah. It, t tennis is like one of those. I remember Patrick Willems, a uh, friend of the podcast did a, a video, a YouTube video, about what are the most cinematic sports? Right. And like, mm -hmm. uh, he, he concluded that baseball is the most cinematic sport. Um, Definitely. Because yeah. it, it allows like, like, you know, the pitcher has like all this control and, you know, you can see it's everyone's a duel. face. Mm -hmm. It's a duel. Yeah. yeah. It's a duel, right. It, or a fight scene or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. But, um, uh, the thing about many other sports, like think about baseball, think about uh, football, those are very forgiving 
when it comes to filming them, right? Because mm-hmm. maybe the person has a lot of equipment on them, or like if it's a if it's baseball, you just got to fake you know the person pitching fast and the person hitting the ball, and that's all. But with tennis, there is a whole dynamic between two players that needs to go on for minutes that you need yeah. to be convinced is happening. A right? lot of shouting and reason, like justifying for why they're shouting and swinging yeah. hard. And I, I thought the movie did a great job of it. But yeah, the kids are incredible. What, what were your overall thoughts on uh, on King Richard? Yeah, I thought it was pretty solid. Like, yeah, it's not like a remarkable sports film or anything, although I think it is really good to get the story out there because, uh, hey, I, I grew up with a lot of this stuff. You know, I, I think we all did. Like, we saw the rise of the the Williams sisters and Richard Williams was always on TV. Like, he was always like a bit of a self-promoter and they even remake um, one of those like really classic interviews where he starts yelling at somebody for, you know, te- asking why Serena is so confident. It's just like, she answered you deal with it, you know, move on. Um, I think Will Smith is by far the weak point of this movie. Like he, he cannot escape the Will Smith of it, you know, because the Will Will Smith charisma, right? The charisma, the, I I think he's one of those actors where he always wants to play somebody who you'll like, basically like even when he was playing a goddamn murderer in suicide squad, (laughs) You have to be a likable murderer. You know, you have to be the fun guy. His I entire go, career has been mm-hmm. calibrated around making you like him. You know what I mean? Exactly. And, and he like, has done yeah. an amazing job of that. You know, It's incredible. And it's him and The Rock is kind of guilty of this right now, too, yes. we've talked about. I don't think Will Smith can ever really disappear into a role. Um, but, man, I just imagine, every time I see one of these movies, I'm like, okay, Will Smith, I, I see you trying. You're trying really hard for the Oscar. I see you trying. I'm just like, what if Jamie Foxx was here instead? That would be uh, ten times a better movie. Um, I hope he, get, I hope he gets it. Yeah. I mean, what this movie really needed was like a character actor in the yes. main, in that, in yes. that role. Um, somebody who's kind of used to kind of disappearing into a role like this, but you know, mm-hmm. maybe it wouldn't have gotten made if it was not Will Smith in the main. I role, mean, right? maybe so, you could, you could yeah. just produce a movie. You don't have to, you don't have to start <laughs> it. Anyway, John Bernthal is also very good in this too. Oh, I think he, so good. He's Pl- so playing good. a very different character than he usually plays too. He's that playing nice, everywhere like, right now, isn't he? He's everywhere. <laughs> um, but he's also playing like a happy, likable guy who's also trying his, best to like please everybody but also is understandably perturbed by richard williams and uh, all of his demands and everything um this movie's a good watch so if you like sports movies and you're interested in the williams sisters i think it's definitely worth watching also a good movie to watch um well there is some violence like there, there is some stuff and i think this movie does also a decent job of exploring the fact that yeah this was in a way an escape from compton for for this family and the dangers of being there too um it doesn't like really dwell on it, but I do think there is this uh, probably the best scene that Will Smith has in this movie is talking about like, you know, horrible things that happened to him growing up and how he had to deal with that and how that kind of shaped him as a person. Maybe it would have been nice to get more of that. It would have been nice to have somebody who could disappear into that role more. Um, but yeah, still a good watch. Yeah, I think so as well. I, I think it's just so interesting that you have literally two of the best athletes on the planet Right mm-hmm. and the movie that they uh, they are executive producers on this film they fully support it as far as I can tell you know is this movie about their father I think it really says mm-hmm. something about kind of how much they attribute their success to him it's a gesture um, yeah. yeah yeah and also like I think it, my understanding is very important for them to uh, have a story in the big screen about like a black father mm-hmm. um, being like a, a paternal character who it's a kind of a character that we usually don't see in movies very much. And I think mm-hmm. that my understanding is it was important for them to have that depiction on screen as well. So uh, I, I think it's notable for that reason as well. The other thing uh, that I wanted to mention is you guys ever notice that 
Will Smith play like is in a lot of movies where mm-hmm. he plays a father placing a one in a million bet on something for his family to benefit from it. Like uh-huh. Uh, yeah, the yeah. other big one I would say is Pursuit of Happiness, which is like mm-hmm. I don't know if you've seen that movie, but mm-hmm. he's he's trying to become an investment banker. He gambles his his whole life on becoming an investment banker and therefore rich. <laughs> and spoiler for Pursuit of Happiness, but he <laughs> succeeds in that movie, right? And it's also, by the way, based on a true story. And I could not help but notice the parallel in this movie, where this father in this movie is like this. You know, Venus Williams is going to be the best tennis player in the world, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and an it's like, insane, okay, an insane goal, right? That's like, pretty. That's pretty unlikely. Pretty, statistically, yeah, yeah. that's pretty unlikely that that would happen. Good luck but with that, dude. Yeah. He bets everything on it, and uh, it ends up being true. spoiler for real life tennis. But Venus and Serena Williams are incredible at tennis, mm-hmm. and so I, I do think there's some interesting theme around this yeah. idea of Will Smith like wanting to be in these movies where he's like betting at all on this thing that might succeed and then he ends up succeeding you know i mean i think he understands like he he's enough of a star to understand a good hook right mm. a movie that a lot of people will like that'll get butts in seats and stuff and uh sometimes he chooses bright you know and sometimes yes. he, he he picks a project like this uh i, I thought that was pretty interesting um i did make yeah, a letterbox yeah. list uh on my letterbox page at, uh, at letterbox.com slash dave chen that was will smith plays a character who gambles everything on a one in a million chance for the betterment of his family and on that list i put king richard after earth in the uh, the pursuit of happiness and mm. i am legend and i got a bunch of comments saying you should add independence day six degrees yes. of separation suicide yes. squad and seven pounds to that list he knows what works so, yeah. So yeah, I mean, arguably, all the, that is one massive boom goes down right there with all those seven movies on there, or eight. <laughs> my biggest question there. about this movie is if I watch it, mm-hmm. will I know what to do to my kids to make them champions? This, I mean, this movie I, it doesn't really say much about sports parents, although it does show like some some of the other competing parents being like how how garbage they can be. I don't. Uh, did you guys play sports growing up at all? A little bit, a little bit. Yeah, my understanding is, like, is this movie is actually kind of inside tennis, mm-hmm. as it were, um, mm-hmm. about kind of uh, things like the juniors, about uh, Capriati and things like that. Like, there's a lot of kind of tennis lore that's baked into this film. But to answer your question, Jeff, um, not really, not really. I mean, no. it shows you kind of the level of hustle and and perseverance that's necessary, but I don't think it like yeah. really gives you that much. Well, that's no fun. It. it was a reminder. I don't Nobody want to be a sports. Be... You don't want to be a sports parent. Like it will, unless you're King Richard, it will probably turn you into a person who, yeah, is pushing your kid way too far. It's sad to see. All right. Uh, that's King Richard. It's playing right now in theaters and on HBO Max. Uh, had a chance to check out Hawkeye, the oh, so Disney jealous. Plus tomorrow, series. As we record yeah. tomorrow, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's going to be out tomorrow. Jeff, have you seen any trailers or anything for this? Or are you avoiding trailers no. for this TV show? Yeah, okay, there, okay. there was like a whole scene, a whole action scene. They no. put out. yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, then I'll be ex- extremely vague then, uh, and just say that I think Hawkeye is a fun Christmas treat. I think it's just <laughs> it's going to be may or may not involve arrows. Yeah. <laughs> no, I think it's just like fun a fun. It's like a fun Christmas uh-huh. it, treat. It is. Uh-huh. I think the least serious the of the candy four... cane of Marvel properties. It is the it is you sitting on the Santa's gingerbread lap. house of yeah. <laughs> I think it's a it, it's a, it's a lot of fun. It's the least serious, I think, of all the Marvel shows that have been out. I think that's um, good. That's a good. Notably, thing. it's also uh, I think the only Marvel show mm. 
that uh, features a non-Avenger as one of the main characters, which I think is kind of cool. Hawkeye? Um, and so I think it's... Uh, <laughs> Sick <laughs> Hawkeye burn, Dave. <laughs> and I think there's going to be more to discuss, and I'll, I'll be respectful of Jeff and wait until next week, because I think... Thank um, you. I'll, yeah, but... Very excited uh, about this. I, I, I think my recommendation is don't take it too seriously. And I think you're going to have a lot of fun well, if you like Marvel the, stuff. Calling it the least serious thing that they put out when they literally put out a television sitcom parody show is, is pretty big words. A, a television sitcom parody show that's kind of a, about someone dealing with grief as well as grappling yeah. with her own well, eventually, metaphors. Yeah. Eventually yeah. it was that. But the first yeah. few episodes, it's wacky time goofball show. Yeah. Um, this one, this one feels like it's something that could be on like ABC family, which I guess doesn't, I don't think it exists anymore. I think it's free form now. Anyway, this one feels like it could be like, you know, on the, the Disney WB? channel, which it is, you know, or the CW? WB. Yeah, exactly. It's kind of like fun, inconsequential. Um, but there's still some interesting Easter eggs and some cool stuff. If only so, there was a show about a guy who shot arrows, who was a superhero, on the WB that you could compare it to. <laughs> I know. I know. Well, we'll have to keep waiting for that one. How many of these have you seen? I've seen the first two episodes. And, uh, so there are going to be six. So I think it's going it, it, to... You can tell from the poster, it takes place during Christmas. So the, the show is going to take us right through Christmas, basically. So, yeah. Um, anyway, that's Hawkeye. It's coming to Disney Plus this week. And uh, I think if you like Marvel stuff, that you'll enjoy Hawkeye. All right. I had a chance to check out Tiger King season two. Ugh. Must we? Do not. Do not. You remember remember when this was literally like everyone had seen Tiger King? Do you guys remember, remember like when, this was when like, it was the squid game yeah, of uh, dark times. Dark times. <laughs> <laughs> it temporarily made us forget that uh we were all going through this lockdown, maybe. And yeah. uh, we all had this art to because we were so engrossed in uh, the challenges of Joe Exotic. I mean, I think that with season two, we are now seeing this show for what it clearly is, which is an abomination. You know, like it's, <laughs> it is something that is a net negative for humanity and society. Um, whatever the, the filmmakers intentions when it began, uh, which was, I think to explore the, the people who keep exotic pets uh, in their backyards and such. I think that was part of the original purpose. It has now spiraled so completely out of control that it is purely just gawkery. You know, it is yeah. just, we're gawking at these people. Not only that, but Tiger King season one has made Joe Exotic into a folk hero. Uh, a, a man who, by all accounts, is an absolutely reprehensible human being, right? A man who, by all accounts, has uh, tortured and abused both animals and staff alike. Uh, and th that is not someone who should be exalted, who should be celebrated, who people should be rooting for. But Tiger King, whatever the intention of the filmmaker, the net result of Tiger King season one is you now have a substantial portion of the United States population that knows who Joe Exotic is and is rooting for him. And that is a net negative for society, in my opinion. Um, and Tiger well, he's still King's in jail, two. right? So it kind of doesn't matter what people are rooting for him, does it? He is in jail, and uh, that's actually a real problem for the show because <laughs> they can't get any new footage of him. Yeah. Um, so uh, the the show is basically like it is completely listless at this point. 
It, there's nowhere for it to go. It's just kind of like it's it's mostly a hang. Season two is mostly a hangover from season one. It's like, whoa, yeah. guys, remember all that crazy stuff we did in season one? Yeah, well, let's explore some of that stuff. Squeezing yeah. more blood from that stone, yeah. baby. It's but incredibly depressing. I kind of uh, feel w- like uh, you know, Tiger King was this thing that took everybody by surprise, right? Yes. Because my experience of watching Tiger King, which I think is not unique, I think most people have this experience, is that you heard about the show, you start watching it, and then all of a sudden you're like, what? It, what am I even... This is... What? Every new episode is like, I can't believe this got even crazier. And you, you, you know, you're watching the slow motion train wreck and you just can't believe the twists and turns. But I feel like season two... It's kind of your fault, Dave, because there's no more surprise of what you're getting yourself into. There's no more. It came it came out of a out of nowhere. It's now you know, you know what it is. I, right? I literally watched it just to tell, just so I could tell people not to watch it. I'm not. I'm not even joking. <laughs> like I literally watched it so I could come because this is one of the top shows in the, in America on in, on Netflix right now. And I literally is went really? on to watch it. Yes, it's in the top ten. And I watched this just so I could come on, you know, and I, I've said on this podcast on After Darks and stuff, I've said, I generally try not to review things negatively during what we've been watching, right? Like, because, unless you're trying to warn society, unless I'm yeah. trying to warn society. And this is one of those cases. This is a net negative for society. Do not mm. watch it. If you watch it, you are helping it succeed and you should not be doing that. That's Tiger Dave King season two. Got inside the tiger cage <laughs> to show people not to get inside the tiger. Cage. That's right. <laughs> That's right. Uh, please honor my sacrifice. <laughs> okay, a uh, couple of other things I just want to mention real quick, and I, I don't want to talk too much about these because it's not it's not easy for you to watch these things right now. But I had a chance to watch Benedetta, which is the new Paul Verhoeven movie that's uh, playing in limited release in New York and maybe LA right now, but I think it's playing at Lincoln Center. Uh, this movie is incredible, and I the way I would describe it is this: this is like. <laughs> If they made Midnight Mass, uh-huh. but it was a two-hour film <laughs> about uh, it was a two-hour erotic thriller about lesbian nuns. That's kind Verhoeven's of done it again, it, baby. It, and it was directed by the guy who made RoboCop. That's, yeah, that's what Benedetta is. I can't wait. And there is no other movie I've seen like it. And it's just it, it's a level of audacity <laughs> that I have rarely seen. It is basically nun exploitation. Uh, I think it's really interesting and, and I barely know how to talk about it. Like I barely, I, I, I do not think we should make this a main review because I don't think we are. <laughs> it's, just, we, it's too powerful. I don't we think we have the tools to actually discuss it. That's kind of how I feel about it. But <laughs> we, we can recruit it, some people. It, I know some folks. It is. Uh, I think we'll probably, yeah, we'll probably end up talking about it. I don't know if it'll be a main review, but we'll probably end up talking about it at some point. It's, Mm-hmm. It, it is something that is unlike anything you've seen this year, and it's worth checking out. So love it. That's Benedetta. It's in limited release. When does right it now. come out uh, in wide release? I have absolutely no idea. Absolutely no idea. Um, I'm sorry. <laughs> so uh, speaking of movies that I have absolutely no idea when they'll come out uh, in wide release, Licorice Pizza, Paul Thomas Anderson's film. You just, just really we'll throwing talk, your early access at us, Dave. Like it's. Uh, we'll, we'll talk something. very briefly about this movie because again, it's not possible to see it. I'll, I will mm. just say that. Uh, overall, I thought this movie is amazing. It's brilliant. PTA does it again. It's marred by some extremely unfortunate anti-Asian racism. That, again? Uh, I know, right? He, um, he just did it. He, he just, just did we, a racism. Didn't we just go through this with Inherent Vice? Um, so that fucking sucked. 
But other than that, the movie is great. And uh, I actually really enjoyed it. Jeff Kanata, you also checked it out. What are your brief thoughts? Well, I texted you knowing that we were both watching it on the same night. Uh, and I, I asked you uh, what you thought of it. Because I, when I walked out of my screening, uh, the press person oftentimes, I don't know if you've had this experience, yes, but they'll they, often they, say, they what, do you, what did you think? Yeah. And I said... Uh, I need to process this more. I don't know what I think, which is not something that happens to me very often. I usually yeah. know what I think. Um, you know, I heard you talk about Benedetta and not feeling like you're equipped to talk about it. I, I feel similarly about this movie in that I don't, I don't, hmm. there's no movie like it. I, it is, it is full. Of, it is very, watchable and fascinating i mean i i i couldn't i was never bored <laughs> i yeah. was never i was on the edge of my seat through the whole movie but i also don't know what i watched really mm. Interesting. Um, it, i think it's a fascinating movie and i think we should talk about it in depth uh, when we can talk spoilers and more people can see it uh i think it's it's certainly a piece of art and it is fascinating it's not like anything else out there i think and uh, he's clearly a, a genius level th filmmaker, but man, I don't quite know what to make of it. Fascinating. All right. I loved it. Uh, we'll have a chance to talk about it later, undoubtedly. But that's Licorice Pizza. It is going to be in limited release on November 26th, and it will go wide on Christmas 2021. Uh, and those are a few things that I've been watching this week. Hey, I want to jump in here and tell you about our sponsor, Prisoner Wines. I just had... My mom in town this last week, and it was delightful having her here, and even more delightful that I got to serve her some of my prisoner wines. My mom loves wine. We like having a, a relaxing glass uh, with a meal, and I uh, presented it to her and said, hey, this is a sponsor of my show. I really want you to tell me what you think of this wine, and, and <laughs> two glasses later... She was like, this is delicious. I, I can't wait to have more. I was lucky. I had several bottles on hand that we had over, over the next few days. And uh, I just, I'm, I'm so proud to be able to present a, a wine that pleases my mom, that I can enjoy. And they do things differently uh, at Prisoner Wine Company. Like 20 years ago, when they decided to combine some of California's best and most unusual grape varieties to make a bold and complex blend. Their namesake wine, the Prisoner Red Blend, which is the kind that I serve to my mom and I myself have been enjoying from the shape and weight of the bottle to that label featuring Francisco Goya's artwork. Every detail is striking and memorable. And the wine is smooth and rich and approachable. And now the Prisoner Wine Company will ship all of their rule-bending blends, like the Prisoner Red Blend, the Prisoner Chardonnay, and Thorn Merlot, directly to your door. Directly to your door. It's never been easier to try one of these delicious wines. It's one of Napa Valley's most recognized red blends. And the Prisoner Wine Company has been featured in Wine Spectator, Forbes, and Food and Wine. You have to experience these wines for yourself. Try one bottle, and you will taste and see that the Prisoner Wine Company is good. Go to theprisonerwine.com slash filmcast for 20% off plus shipping included on your first purchase. 
and get it in time for the holidays too. This is the best deal they have available. Get 20% off plus shipping included at theprisonerwine.com slash filmcast. That's the, T-H-E, prisoner, P-R-I-S-O-N-E-R, wine, W-I-N-E dot com slash F-I-L-M-C-A-S-T. Offer valid on first-time online orders only for U.S. residents of legal drinking age through 12-31-2021. Other exclusions may apply. Please enjoy wines responsibly. Devinder Hardwar, it's time. Yeah. It's time, right? And we all know I've been waiting for it. You've been waiting for it. The live-action Cowboy Bebop debuted on Netflix this week. I have been so curious. As a hardcore Cowboy Bebop fan, what did you think of this series? Okay, three, two, one, let's jam. Uh, yeah, this this show is kind of confounding, and I, I think I'm almost That's done. Not good. I'm like <laughs> I'm on like episode eight or nine right now. Um, I hold up Cowboy Cowboy Bebop as kind of a holy text. Basically, it is one of the purest expressions of filmmaking and genre and music and writing that I can think of. You know, it, it is a top five piece of fiction, uh, piece of media for me. Uh, one of the things I generally love and something I try to recommend to everybody. Um, and it's because that show, the original show, which is a little over 20 years now, was an exploration of like different genres like it was trying to do something it was a cowboy story set in space um it was a film noir when it wanted to be that could erupt into like a martial arts uh action scene that could turn into a john woo shootout uh while also giving us a blade runner like science fiction world while also giving us characters who were haunted by their broken pasts and uh we're trying to like scrape a life together in a broken future like it is so it is such a deep show. And that show is only 26 episodes. It's 26 short episodes, like 24 minutes, like a typical anime uh, you know, series, and uh, one movie. And that's it. That's all we had to subsist on, you know, for the past couple of decades. And it's no wonder it survived. It's I, I think it's just a truly unique thing. And the way I'm looking at this, I think the original Cowboy Bebop just was so well informed with what it was trying to do. It was like it was like trying to evoke like Godard films at times. It knew like it, it was trying to evoke uh, actual jazz and bebop style music and the soundtrack by Yoko Kano, which I still listen to today, every day uh, reflects that this live action show really likes cowboy bebop. And I think that's <laughs> the, that's the like difference mm-hmm. of it. So it is, it is kind of a lot of those references in that world and the style and these characters and even the same music, but it is filtered down this one filter of, Hey, that's like Cowboy Bebop, right? And I, I think that's where this show fails. Uh, but it's really been interesting to look at the reviews of this thing, because I think uh, critics like Alan Seppenwall and a couple other folks uh, watched it who were not familiar with the anime, um, which by the way, I, that kind of broke my heart. It did kind of break my heart that a critic like Alan Seppenwald, who I love and respect, I love his writing. He couldn't watch one episode just to like, just to kind of see what was going on here. But maybe, maybe he wanted to fully separate himself and just judge the show on its own. I think on its own, if you have no attachment to the original, it's fine. It's a perfectly fine sci-fi show about a bunch of losers on a spaceship. Uh, There's some cool style to it. They almost evoke like um, a bit of the like speed racer, look here like the live action speed racer so it looks a little cartoony at times 
uh, but it has style, but it just, things don't quite fit. It feels like they didn't have enough of a budget to make sets that looked, you know, decent. So there are some cool shots that are like animated in the background that look exactly like the anime, but they're not doing anything new or telling us anything interesting. It just looks like the anime. You know, they brought Yoko Kano back to do some new music for this. And it just sounds like Yoko Kano Cowboy Bebop music, right? They don't even, um, I think what was cool about the original is that, you know, it's not a huge soundtrack. It's like, I think three, three volumes at this point. Um, But there's a lot of music and it's always used well. And it's like, you know, the music helped tell the story. In this show, they will just like blast through some of the like really iconic Cowboy Bebop tracks in sequences that don't really reflect what they're trying to do. Like there, there is, there's a clear mismatch between the audio and the images here. So it just feels like kind of a mess. And um, I don't, I don't know if I want to be too harsh on it because there are some things that really work. Okay. I really like, uh, I like the main cast, John Cho. Mr. John Cho is Spike Spiegel, the, the lead character. He is somebody who, uh, you know, is a former, a former assassin, former member of the syndicate, a crime syndicate. And uh, he is now just a cowboy, like a bounty hunter. His partner is played by Mustafa Shakir. He's playing Jet Black. And I think he's really fun here, too. The highlight of the show is Daniela Pineda, who is a ton of fun as Faye Valentine. And she is somebody who um, I think I saw her. She was in Jurassic World, uh, the second one. Jurassic World, whatever the last one was called. She was in Fallen Kingdom and she like brought a lot of life to that uh, film as well. I think she's really strong and they clearly all have like a vibe together, but the writing doesn't quite hold up. They uh, they basically turned a lot of what Cowboy Bebop did and a lot of these plot lines into a very generic, um, a very like generic American series, basically, right? Like they give Jet Black a daughter who he is estranged from and an ex-wife uh, and that that is his uh, main thrust. In the first episode, he's looking for a, a doll for his daughter. Or the second episode, I forget which. But he's looking for something for his daughter. And that's it. You know, we've seen it time and again. I'm not going to spoil too much of the original series, but Jet Black's story in the original Cowboy Bebop is so heartbreaking. It is one of those things I think about to this day. You know, it, it is. And that was a single episode of television. That was 24 minutes. And they told a story where we get a little bit of his backstory. And it's like tragic what happens to him, tragic what it means to the people he loves. And it turns out like his one of his flaws is almost loving people too much, you know, and being so overprotective that you push people away from you. This show is not interested in something like that. This show is he has an ex-wife and a daughter he can't see. And it's a story we've seen time and again. And they do this. um, over and over again like this uh the series has to it fleshes out the villains uh or at least the main villain vicious played with a horrible wig by alex hessel and it gives us a backstory to this guy who in the original series we kind of just we just got glimpses of and the glimpses we got was his name is vicious he carries a sword and he is brutal and he will kill anybody in his path like it, it is pure mystery in this one he's kind of like a vaguely competent Euro trash guy, you know, and it's just not really interesting. So, Hey, it's perfectly watchable. It's perfectly enjoyable. It's not cowboy bebop. And I can fully understand like why, if, if you love the original series, why you should hate this. Um, me trying to be fair. Like I, I see people putting in an effort here, but their effort isn't to, um, you know, do something new. 
uh, one of the subtitles actually in between every episode of Cowboy Bebop. It was a little presumptuous. It was, it was a little like, uh, it, it was definitely like haughty. Uh, it was, uh, it said a new genre unto itself. <laughs> and that is what the show announced in the middle of every episode. Cause they knew what the hell they were doing. They knew what the source material was. It's and like they when a trailer. Were, it's like yeah. when a trailer says from the visionary director of so and so and such. Exactly. And, such, and normally I laugh at that, but then you see it from a visionary director, and you're like, "Yeah, sure, okay, you're right, I get it." Um, <laughs> this this show is not is not a new genre until itself. Its genre is cowboy bebop, and it's not even doing it that well. Uh, but at the same time, I uh, I I have talked to people who have watched the show. And no matter how many times I have recommended the anime, they, they've never touched it, you know, and uh, I, uh, I don't have so much luck getting people to watch beloved cult shows about a ragtag group of people on a, super, on a spaceship, you know, like it just doesn't <laughs> doesn't work for some people. I've never I heard know. of any other shows like that. Though, I don't know but, what else I'm know. supposed to do. Yeah. But yeah. I have talked to some of those people. and They're like, yeah, I'm enjoying this. And I'm like, OK, the the original Cowboy Bebop is right there. The dub is actually really good, so you don't even have to like turn on subtitles. I actually prefer the dub because the voice cast is so good. Um, just give that a shot, and a lot of people are going from this onto that. So, if if this like torturous uh, live action remake accomplishes anything, if it gets more people to check out the original, which is right there on the next like little image panel on Netflix, then I guess that's a good thing. But man, my feelings are complicated. I am. Yeah. I'm currently in the process of writing the suffering gadget. So you can hear more there. Uh, but you know, uh, to all the anime fans out there, I, I know how you feel. I know it's tough. Yeah. I think the, the best uh, eviscerating review I've read is from David Ehrlich. <laughs> who says uh, it's over at IndieWire and he says Netflix's live action riff on everyone's favorite anime is a cosmic disaster. So if you just want to see somebody tear into this, uh, go check out that review. So it sounds like you didn't hate it, but it just is not super additive to you. When it, it definitely, comes to, it made yeah. me feel really, really sad. Um, but I, I, as a show, as somebody who, you know, I, I like these actors. It turns out I like these actors. I like the big template of what they're doing. They're basically just replaying a lot of Cowboy Bebop episodes, but it's fine. It's good enough. It's watchable. Um, certainly, I would have preferred if they tried to do something goddamn new here. You know, I'm thinking of like what Damon Lindelof did with Watchmen. Yeah. Where everyone was like, you're making a Watchmen sequel series? Nobody wants that. That's, probably, it turns like out, the, that's probably like the best example, honestly. Never happens. Per, yeah. Perhaps ever. And unfortunately, now like any show that's based off of an existing property uh, you can now always point to Watchmen and say that's an example of how you reinvent something for the modern yeah. times. You must be the best of all time, you yes. know, or at least <laughs> at least try to do something new. And I right. don't think this one tries to do anything new. And to me, yeah, it's definitely not additive. Um, now, you now know, said, mm-hmm. I, I have heard that if if this is your first exposure to Cowboy Bebop, you won't necessarily think it's bad. Uh, sure. Because you, you've never been exposed to this before. You, you don't know what steak tastes like. Yeah. <laughs> Jeff Kanata, you had a chance to check out Cowboy Bebop episode one as well. Now, have you seen any Cowboy Bebop? Was this your first exposure? I do not know what steak tastes like. I you uh, like a good burger though. I, I haven't <laughs> I haven't eaten beef in twenty years. Yes, <laughs> it's true. I haven't eaten beef in twenty years. That's um, amazing. Like in in real life, but in the metaphor, you haven't seen Cowboy Bebop the anime, right? That's right. I also have not. <laughs> in the metaphor, I've not never seen had a sing- <laughs> I've not seen a single episode of Cowboy Bebop the anime. Uh, I went into this. Uh, the series excited based purely on Devendra's enthusiasm. 
Um, I was never enthusiastic for this show. Like you heard me a couple weeks ago, Jeff. Come on. Well, I I, I, I was very worried. My well, my main emotion was worried. I know that you love Cowboy Bebop, and you heard this I, Cowboy Bebop thing. You're like, I'll click the first thing that hits on Netflix, and that <laughs> yeah, that was their Google plan. Cowboy Bebop. And I like John Cho. I want to see John Cho do this rather yes. than the you know the yeah. yeah I don't know. Um. Anyway, I uh, I did not care for it. I <laughs> I, I it's I, kind I, of obviously a mess. Don't have the, I don't the have the context. A mess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't have the context that Devendra has, but I will say that it occurred to me that I was watching something. I was amazed that I was watching something that clearly was very expensive that looked mm-hmm. very cheap. Yes, that's a good way. But I don't even know if it was very expensive, but it definitely looked cheap. I mean, I have a feeling it was pretty expensive, uh, but mm. it doesn't look expensive. It looks cheap. Um, and that's very unfortunate because uh, it, it, it kind of turned me off to the whole thing. I mean, a lot of it just feels really, it's just shot like uh, i i mean i think mm-hmm. my thought process was this is this is netflix they have money this is probably pretty expensive it's you would laden think so. with effect shots all mm-hmm. over the place i'm sure it cost a pretty penny to make cowboy bebop the live action show but it doesn't look like it cost a pretty mm-hmm. penny it looks cheap and i thought to myself well then clearly there's a decision here like it was a mm-hmm. choice mm-hmm. intentionally to make it look it looks like bad TV. It looks like sort of like there's a sequence in the it's first sort of episode like the stuff where from Doctor Who before Doctor Who got really you know big. Yeah, mm-hmm. there's a sequence in the first episode where somebody shoots this gun through the wall in mm-hmm. space, and everybody's almost sucked out the hole. And it looks like how you would shoot it if you were in high school. You know, it's like somebody hold my legs, and, yeah, and, and, yeah, you know, and hold me up, and it, it the just, least it, believable anti gravity stuff, yeah, yeah. It, I don't know. So I felt like, well, is it a choice to kind of make it look a little goofy? Um, if so, uh, it's not working for me. But um, <laughs> you know, I, I yeah, I didn't, I didn't care for the first episode. Uh, if you ever have time, Jeff, and time is the thing, none of us really have. But you know, I would, I would tell anybody if you re- if you're liking the show, if you're just curious about it. Watch the very first episode of Cowboy Bebop. It's called Asteroid Blues, and it kind of covers the same plot that uh, the first episode of the Netflix show hits. And it is cool. It is elegant. There is some cool action. And it is so tragic and haunting, too. Like, And that is something, if you go back and watch that and then see what Netflix does with it, it's just, you see the difference there. Like, There is a soul of a story that they really are trying to get. And to me, that episode, which apparently wasn't even super popular in Japan, like people did not really latch on to what they were doing. The entire show, everything they're trying to do is contained in that episode. So it's worth checking out. But if you do like more, I tell everybody, go all the way up to uh, episode five, which is Ballad of the Fallen Angels, which is also the thing Netflix basically, um, they turned that kind of story and episode into the finale of this series of this uh cowboy the live action cowboy bebop which is also weird but watch the first five episodes of cowboy bebop and you will want to keep going you know okay all right well that's cowboy bebop and it is streaming right now on netflix bit of a mixed bag bit of a mixed bag it sounds like uh i'm sorry you didn't love it davindra but hopefully it'll get more people into the anime so yeah Uh, all right that's what davindra horror has been watching this week and jeff canada uh, speaking of expensive shows on streaming networks, you had a chance to check out Wheel of Time this week, did you not? 
I did, uh, you know, like Devendra, I was highly anticipating a (laughs) a new series of a show I've been waiting for, for what seems like forever. And I finally got to watch a little of the great season two, but enough about that. (laughs) I haven't, I haven't watched enough of the great season two yet to talk about it. I will talk about it on subsequent episodes, but I am so excited. The great is back on Hulu. What an awesome, awesome show that is. Oh. So excited that it got a season two. The Great on Hulu. Watch it. Anyway, Wheel of Time. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Wheel of Time is a big epic fantasy series back in the whatever, 2005, 2006, whatever year it was. Time has no meaning. Yeah. Time has no meaning. There There was a moment in time where I wanted to read a great fantasy series. I was like, ah, I'm, in, I'm in the mood to read a good fantasy book series. And I remember at that time I was doing the Totally Rad show and I reached out to some viewers and said, well, you know, what, what do I read? What do I read? What do I read? And there were two series that were recommended to me more than any other. The first was Wheel of Time. The second was A Song of Ice and Fire. I ended up going the George R.R. R. Martin route fell in love with those books and read them voraciously until he stopped writing, evidently. Um, but this still, other still series... Still making blog posts, but yeah, go ahead. Still making blog He's posts. He's busy, yeah. yeah. Uh, this other series, Wheel of Time, um, the Robert Jordan series, uh, I did not read... Actually, I started reading the first uh, book, and I was just looking for something a little more different. And so in my head, these these book series were always sort of related because I had this A-B choice at that, or what felt like an A-B choice to me uh, at that time. But now, of course, Wheel of Time only happened because the Game of Thrones TV show was such a massive hit and Amazon wanted their own. So in, in a sense, they are sort of linked, but I think that is a bad comparison because Wheel of Time as a concept is so much more straightforward fantasy series than game of thrones ever was. Uh, the song of ice and fire is a, is really kind of putting fantasy on its head. It's, it's a political tale yeah. that just has sort of elements of fantasy in it, but there's no, right. it, it could have happened in the middle ages, right? Like exactly. Yeah. I mean, there's with, dragons with, with of some, course with some fantasy elements. Right. But like, yes. yeah, there's some dragons yeah. of course, but you never see anybody like throwing a fireball or, you know, <laughs> casting, you know, magic in, yeah. in any specific way. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's much well, you, more, you, sort do, of, you do, but there are, it's incidental. I mean, or it's, it's not kind of the main focus. One, one could argue. Right? It's not. Yes. It is not high fantasy in that way. Um, Wheel of Time is much more like Dungeons and Dragons, right? It, it, it's it's more a direct lineage from Lord of the Rings and, and those kinds of things. And, and it's much more sort of mainstream what high fantasy has become or had become at that time um, before Game of Thrones sort of took over the world. But, you know, it, it was very much Dungeons and Dragons, right? It's It starts with a group of people who are, you know, the hobbits in Hobbiton, everything's great and peaceful, and they go on an epic journey, and they get more more stuff happens, and they get more powerful, and you know it's it's like a big Dungeons and Dragons campaign. And so I think folks that might be looking for the next Game of Thrones uh, might not like what they see because it is very much more 
it's not as complex as all that, right? You're not in all these different times and places, all these, all these different realms of the land that are geopolitically bumping up against each other and all, all of the sophistication of Game of Thrones is not present here. This is about a group of kids who, one of whom might be the chosen one, and we're going to find out who it is over long books, <laughs> which isn't to disparage Wheel of Time. I just think that should be, uh, should be noted. The show, the first episode, I lasted about 25 minutes and then it was like, I'm out. I'm glad I returned to it because right after I, I tapped out, it, it actually kind of gets m much more interesting in the sense that there's a big magical battle and it's not great, but it's still much more interesting. It kind of picks up its pace. The thing about this, this Wheel of Time show, I mean, it, it, similar to what I said about Cowboy Bebop, is like clearly this is a very expensive show for Amazon. I mm. don't know if the money is on the screen. What, and they, they also have to have money for Lord of the Rings too, right? So it's yeah, like, yeah. Well, what, throwing all the money. Yeah. What Peter Jackson taught the world about fantasy storytelling is it's super important that the world, this fantasy world feels lived in, feels mm -hmm. grounded. Like that, the genius of Peter Jackson, I think, is that he knew, you know, we're going to go to where Hobbiton is going to be and we're going to plant, we're going to build it like two years before we film there. So the vegetation grows over. Everything looks real and lived in and grounded. Like it's been there for a long time. Mm -hmm. And that's the sort of the mythos that permeates that trilogy of movies is that. This, by the way, Jeff, is your problem with Cowboy Bebop. That world is supposed to look lived in. Yeah. Instead, it looks like cheap sets. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, in a lot of ways, that's the genius of the first Star Wars movie, right? Is that everything's worn mm -hmm. out and broken and old and, and it feels like we've, it's been lived in. It feels like this place that actually people have been in for a long time. It doesn't feel like a movie set. And I fully admit that's a difficult thing to pull off. It's not an easy aesthetic to capture, mm -hmm. but it's sort of essential in creating a fantasy universe. I don't even think the HBO Game of Thrones series always was successful. No. But it was a lot more successful than Wheel of Time mm -hmm. in its first episode, especially because its first episode is establishing <laughs> basically a Hobbiton, right? It's establishing like the cool, serene place that we lived in before the S hits the F, right? Before, mm -hmm. the, before the bad stuff starts happening. And in that sense, I think it utterly fails. I, 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 I don't think the people, I mean, casting is such a huge part of these shows as well. And I think, honestly, if I say it, honestly, I know I'm going to piss a lot of people off. Honestly, that was the big hump that I had to get over with The Expanse, is that I didn't think the casting of The Expanse, mm. I didn't want to hang out with those people. I didn't want to, I didn't, it, it, it took me a long time to sort of gain affection for those people. And it's an ineffable mercurial kind of thing it's hard to put your finger on what that is about a, a, a cast that just doesn't make you you know you know in 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 contrast to game of thrones or uh you know numerous other shows where immediately when you start watching them, you're like oh i want to just want to be around these people all the time um anyway i feel like i'm glad i returned to wheel of time because i've now watched the rest of episode one and episode two, I think is a huge improvement over episode one. And ultimately, like I started to enjoy the show 
looking at it like a big Dungeons and Dragons television show, which is basically what it is. Um, it's a party going from A to B and you stay with those people the whole time and you see what happens, right? And, and there's some, there's some stuff to like. There's, I mean, the, the show does in the second, second episode, I think sort of feel a little more lived in, feel a little more grounded. It's interesting. Like there's, there's a big, um, in, in episodes one and two, there are big, bad, bad guys, you know, these sort of, uh, um, minotaur looking bad guys. And to the show's credit, I think they, it's not CG, right? It's, it's a bunch of people in costumes. It's a bunch of, uh, people wearing costumes and, the results are mixed, right? It 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 kind of works and it kind of doesn't. Kind of feels a little goofy, but it also kind of is like, hey, it's cool that there's physical things there. Um, I'm 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 going to watch more of the show, which I didn't think I was going to after the first 25 minutes of the first episode. It has grown on me, um, and I think as the actor as the actors have more to do, and, and instead of they're sort of just establishing the world as they're actually getting into adventures. I'm, I'm liking them more and more. Um, I think the, the, the woman who plays Egwene is particularly interesting and, and cool and, and uh, compelling, but some of the, some of the, you know, sometimes when like the expanse, when you get introduced to like eight characters at once and all of them look exactly the same, <laughs> it just seems like they're just like random dark haired dude, <laughs> you know, I don't Fuzzy, know. Yes. With the, uh, with fuzz on their face. Yeah. Yeah. yeah same it just face. feels like, I don't know. I, perhaps an unfair thing to say, but nonetheless. Um, but ultimately, it, it, it sort of feels like Dungeons and Dragons to me because, at least for the first couple of episodes, it feels like we go to a place, we have an encounter, you know, which is usually a fight or a big action sequence, and we learn new things, and then we go to another place. And as somebody who creates a Dungeons and Dragons show for a living, I understand that and i think that's kind of cool and it's a it's a it's cool to see it play out on this kind of scale very different than game of thrones right so if you're thinking of oh this is going to be their version of game of thrones it really isn't it's much more there's much more action there's much more uh, it's much more straightforward than that and, and it's much more high fantasy in that there's real magic and special effects showing the magic and um and i think that's kind of a benefit to it right it's not trying to actually be the same thing as Game of Thrones. It's it's carving out its own identity, but that identity is a little cheesier, a little um, less sophisticated, a little more straightforward. So know what you're getting into, but I actually don't think this is, I I don't think this is the you know the the face plant that I originally thought it was in the first 25 minutes. I'm like I went back to it, and I'm glad I did. All right. Well, that's Great. Wheel of Time season one. And it's streaming right now on Prime Video. Uh, Devinjo, you're going to say something? Is this something you're going to check out? No, I'm saying uh, sounds great. I may, yeah. I may check it out. Uh, there, it feels like there's a lot of fantasy stuff incoming, and this one seems interesting. Uh, at the same time, man, there is so much stuff to watch. Like Jeff, does this move beyond the like mess of other things we should be watching right now, or are you just into it because it's fantasy? I, I think it's the latter. I, I, it's a crazy thing, you know this this last Friday or whatever it was when. Cowboy Bebop dropped, this dropped, The Great Season 2 dropped. I think there was like two other things. I mean, Hawkeye's about mm -hmm. to premiere. It's like, mm -hmm. all this stuff is aimed directly at me 
and mm-hmm. my sensibilities and it's it's crazy to the point now where i'm like yeah i don't need to watch this crazy <laughs> sci-fi show you're like a other... king of culture just throwing away these offerings <laughs> before you yeah. it's wild you know you can really be yeah. picky about all yeah. the genre yeah. stuff because there's so much of it now so much yeah indeed all right well that's what jeff canada has been watching this week we'd like to take a second to thank our sponsor feels CBD isn't really about what you feel, it's more about what you don't feel, things like stress, anxiety, and pain. For me, I've found CBD to be just super helpful to help reduce anxiety, especially before really stressful events, and when I was flying, it was super helpful there. And Feels is one of the best options I've tried yet. It's a better way to feel better. Feels is a premium CBD that will help you keep your head clear and feel your best. It's hassle-free and delivered right to your door. CBD naturally helps reduce things like stress, anxiety, pain, and sleeplessness, and there's no hangover or addiction. And I've mentioned flights before. Those are the sorts of things where I'm anxious about getting there on time, I'm anxious about the lines I'm going to face, and just dealing with the long flight. I found taking feels uh, before my flights just really helped the whole experience go a lot smoother. It's certainly better than just grabbing a drink and feeling hungover. Using feels is pretty simple too. It just takes a few drops under your tongue and you'll notice a difference pretty quickly. The thing to remember about CBD is that finding your right dose is important and everyone's dose is different. So to help with that, feels offers a free CBD hotline to help guide your personal experience so you find your perfect dose. The feels customer service team is also dedicated to making sure you get the best use of your CBD. Joining the Feels monthly membership makes your self-care easy. You'll save money on every order, and you can pause or cancel at any time. Start feeling better with Feels. Become a member today by going to feels.com slash filmcast, and you'll get 50% off your first order with free shipping. That's F-E-A-L-S dot com slash filmcast to become a member and get 50% automatically taken off your first order with free shipping. Feels.com slash filmcast. Let's get to weekly plugs. Weekly plugs the part of the show each week where we plug something we have created or are still creating right now. Uh, I'll plug a conversation I had with Nick Kwa uh, about burnout. Talked about burning out uh, as content creator. Uh, Love his work, yeah. Nick Qua was a, a extremely successful creator of a newsletter called Hot Pod, where he wrote about the podcasting industry. Uh, it was generally regarded as the premier uh, podcast publication out there about podcasts. And in a recent Vanity Fair interview, he said that he thought about burning it all down. And I was like, huh, what's going on with that? So I asked him to get on the phone with me and we talked about it. And uh, you can listen to our conversation there over on Culturally Relevant, but had a great time chatting uh, chatting with Nick about uh, Hot Pod and about building a successful online business. Devinder Hardware, your weekly plug? Oh, I played, uh, I think, the first five-ish hours of Halo Infinite and wrote that up in Gadget. So you can just check that out. It's an article called Halo Infinite is Best When It Stops Being Halo. And uh, I, I've got a lot of feelings about the Halo franchise as well. I know you've been playing the multiplayer, Dave. Um, yeah, I've I tried to get too. you in on a game recently, but uh, did you? Did you? Th- th- that was one of the first things that we, uh, <laughs> one of the first things that Devinder and I ever interacted through together was playing Halo One Combat Evolved in the original. When Xbox. we were roommates, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was actually wrote up that like that experience too, because oh, Halo nice. One was like there was no Xbox Live. There was no internet access on the Xbox. Yeah. Like we you were do, playing you do, on you your do LAN. LAN, yeah. yeah. 
So I wrote that. I wrote Bring that. Bring your TV. Today, but... Haul that CRT mm-hmm. into the other dorm room, guys. Well, well no, funny. it's great because if you plugged it into the LAN, Jeff, you see everybody else's Xboxes. Ooh. So we were just like, we were there playing people in other yeah. dorms. There was no TV hall. It was great. That's uh, incredible. Yeah. yeah. Halo Infinite, uh, I think is the best 343 Studios has done with Halo so far. Uh, there are a couple like opening missions where it's just like, I, I don't know if you guys have learned anything here because it's like very straightforward running through corridors and killing, you know, aliens and whatnot. But then it opens up because that's the thing they've been kind of selling for a while. And I think that's really, it's intriguing. It doesn't fully like solve the like staleness of Halo as a franchise and the mythology and stuff. I, I don't know where they're going to go from here, but based on this preview, I'm really intrigued. There's a bit of like far cryness and a bit of openness in terms of how you can do things. And I dig that. And I think the multiplayer is fantastic. So I will I'll keep an eye out for your invites, Dave. But I, yeah, I've really well, been you, enjoying that. You know, funny story. Uh, I was online with a couple friends uh, the other night, including Danish Syed. And mm-hmm. we're like, hey, let's uh, let's play some Halo. Like, we're, we're ready to play some Halo. I was in Halo the game. I was waiting for them to join the fire team. Mm-hmm. Danish says, oh, shit, shit. Can't, can't join Halo because I had scheduled a play session of Forza Horizon 5 with Jeff Kanata. So I'm like, oh well, that's cool. That's cool. We'll all we'll all get into Forza Horizon, but we'll all leave our Halo game that we were mm-hmm. very happily about to get into. This is we're the world we're in play now. Forza, yeah. We'll all hop into a convoy in Forza Horizon Five. So we all switch over to Forza Horizon Five, and we're like, oh well, Jeff's going to join us any second now. <laughs> Two hours later, Jeff has not shown up, and we're. Can just, I tell you my perception of this moment? Uh huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> I t- I don't know what happened. Well, I, I, maybe I do know what happened. But I I was texting Danish, yeah. and I started playing Forza Horizon 5 by myself, waiting for him to respond to my text. It never came through. I never saw any response to I was like, I'm on now. I'm ready. I'm Because he was like, oh, anytime tonight. And I was like, okay. So I texted him back. I'm on now. And uh, I never heard anything. And then the next morning I woke up and I saw two texts like, okay, we're ready to go. And I was like, well, when did that come through? I was looking at my mm. phone all night trying to find that text. Now, granted, I had an edible. <laughs> <laughs> so it's possible that excuse. it's yeah. possible that I missed it. But uh-huh. I, uh-huh. I, my intention was to mm-hmm. be aware. And, well, also, I didn't I, see you online at all. That was another thing. Maybe you've blocked well, me, Jeff. I don't know how that's possible. I was playing Forza like for hours uh, by mm. myself, waiting for Danish. Yeah, we, and, and... Literally, me and three, two other dudes just playing Forza for like hours, <laughs> waiting for Jeff Kanata to grace us with his presence, a, a, an occurrence that never actually happened. Um. So, well, I'll tell I, you I what. We're like ships passing. At least you had though. friends because I was playing by myself, crying. <laughs> you were cars <laughs> passing on the Mexican highway. Yes, <laughs> you guys probably <laughs> passed each other. Basically, yes, we were. Nicely done. All right. Jeff Kanata, your weekly plug. Do you like limericks? Okay. <laughs> Do you like limericks? Like... <laughs> I uh, uh, I know where you can get some limericks, some freshly made limericks right for you. I know where you can get them. Cameo.com slash Jeff Kanata. It's, it's the holiday season. So do-dee-doo. It's believing. And that's what uh, maybe it's a time that you want to give a limerick to somebody. Get those limericks in early, baby. Maybe Thanksgiving. Maybe you want to give thanks through limericks. Uh, I know your guy. I know a guy that can get you hooked up. And, and plan ahead. Get those uh, holiday limericks lined up because uh, I might be swamped. You never know. Limericks, uh, they take a while for me to make. So cameo.com slash Jeff Kanata. Think of your loved ones. What better way to say Merry Christmas than 
with poetry, original poetry from this guy with the thumbs. All right. Those are our weekly plugs. A couple other things I want to mention. If you want to support this podcast, you can go to patreon.com slash film podcast, sign up for uh, ad free episodes as well ex- as exclusive weekly after darks. Uh, and if you don't want to support the podcast financially, very easy to do that. We never want you to support us if it in any way causes you any financial hardship. All you got to do is go to Apple Podcasts, leave a star rating or a review for us. It really does help us stand out in the sea of many, many film podcasts out there. We really appreciate all of our viewers as well as all of our patrons at patreon.com slash film podcast. All right, folks, let's get to our review of Ghostbusters Afterlife. What are you doing here in Somerville anyway? Honestly, my mom won't say it, but we're completely broke. And the only thing that's left in our name is this creepy old farmhouse our grandfather left us in the middle of nowhere. Why'd you bring me up here? Entertainment value. <laughs> what is that? I don't know. Somehow, a town that isn't anywhere near a tectonic plate, that has no fault lines, no fracking, no loud music even, is shaking on a daily basis. Under the dining table now! Hey, remember that one summer we died under a table? I found this in my living room. Whoa, killer replica. A replica of what? A ghost trap? That was from the trailer of Ghostbusters Afterlife, the newest film by writer-director Jason Reitman. I'm going to read the plot summary from IMDb. When a single mom and her two kids arrive in a small town, they begin to discover their connection to the original Ghostbusters and the secret legacy their grandfather left behind, end quote. (laughs) Joining us today for our review of Ghostbusters Afterlife, he is one of my favorite film critics on the internet, but more specifically on YouTube, where you can find his reviews at youtube.com slash Dan Merle Movies. Dan Merle, welcome back to the Filmcast. How are you doing tonight, Dan? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me back. I'm excited. I'm excited as well. So Ghostbusters Afterlife, you know, when the trailers for this movie debuted, I think... I was apprehensive because it was very clear that Uh this movie was going to be taking a different approach to Ghostbusters than literally any of the other Ghostbusters sequels, right? (laughs) Uh, It was going to be kind of a more reverential J.J. Abrams Super 8 style approach to this. Yeah. Maybe not not a comedy, you know? Yeah, maybe not a comedy. Not a straight up comedy. I'm not inherently opposed to, right? If you want to make a sequel, reboot, legacy sequel, requel, whatever, uh, if you want to change up the tone, that's not a bad idea necessarily. Yeah, let's be but, different. Yeah. But Demerol, why don't, why don't we start with you? I mean, why don't you take us through a little bit of your relationship to Ghostbusters, um, maybe what you thought of the 2016 film, if you have any thoughts on that, and then let's dive into this one. Sure. Uh, I have a very strong relationship with Ghostbusters. It was one of a handful of movies that were in constant rotation uh, when I was growing up. Uh, Batman, Ghostbusters, Ferris Bueller, um, a really kind of select group of, of movies. And so I am an unapologetic fanboy for uh, the first movie and the second one too. I have, I have, I have sentimental attachment to the second one. I recognize it's not as strong as the first. Mm-hmm. I, um, I, 2016 was a fun year. Um, I, <laughs> I, 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 well, I had just kind of transitioned to like on camera stuff. 
Mm-hmm. So I remember I did when the trailer for the 2016 one came out, like I didn't think it was a great looking trailer, but I didn't think mm-hmm. it looked like a dumpster fire. And so I stupidly ran in and pitched an idea of like, let's do a video called why does everybody hate the new Ghostbusters trailer? Uh, it was literally the most disliked thing we ever did at Screen Junkies, like literally mathematically the most disliked thing. And I, it I went actually, downhill I, from I, there. I have distinct memories of that too, of what happened around that video, Dan. So yeah, yes. uh, that's something. And, and we weren't like, we weren't like you little mopey children can't take, we were just kind of like, well, you know, <laughs> right, I mean, right. I think it's unfortunate that, and it was just the most disliked thing we'd ever done. Um, I, I thought that the 2016 version was fine. I, I think I'm a little cooler on it now than when it came out. Um, but I've watched it a couple more times and it's like, it's, it's fine. It's a, it's a studio comedy. I, I don't think it. There's a whole lot to distinguish it, other than the controversy surrounding it. Uh, yeah, I this mean, one. Beyond that, I do want to call out a couple of things. Like, first of all, it, it was considered a financial disappointment, uh, primarily because that movie cost over 140 million dollars <laughs> to make. Right, whereas wild. this one costs about wild. Yeah, yeah, this one costs about Probably. half as much. All that money was spent on the the part of the movie that's the least good, which is that big end scene CGI extravaganza. Yeah. Mm. But well, and that big I, dance sequence that got cut. Yeah, yeah. 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 One thing I will say about that one though, is at least it, it was a comedy, you know, like it tried to kind of carry on the spirit of the tone of the original Ghostbusters. Yeah. What would you it, think Ghostbusters? You think comedy? Yes. Right. I, mean, I would, I would say so. But Funny all that things. said, uh, just a couple things I wanted to call about it. All that said, Dan, I didn't mean to interrupt. So leading up to this one, what were your thoughts on, on Ghostbusters afterlife? Oh, I can hear the train coming down the tracks. So I'm still ready for this. Uh, I I was very trepidatious because, again, I love this for I love this first Ghostbusters movie. It's very important to me. And I was like, are they gonna try? Even with Jason Reitman on board, I was like, I don't know about this, but I, I've got to be honest. I was waiting for the moment where I was gonna fall off the train. There, I honestly thought that if well, I can't get into it that yet. Uh, there was a certain point. There was a certain thing that I thought that I would be off board if it happened and then it mm-hmm. did happen. But the way that it was done, I, it actually made me love the movie more and like sh- surprising to me, even I loved this movie. I really did. I understand. I'm sure that perhaps there will be other opinions and I'm, and I, and I look forward to comparing those, but I really loved this movie. I did. I thought that it, it is different. It is, it is different than the first Ghostbusters film. But I think it was a great synthesis of sort of handing it off to a new generation and also really making a movie for, and I think this is where a lot of people fell off board, for the people that grew up with the movie like me. And I think perhaps that was a narrow target, maybe too narrow, but it it hit the bullseye with me. I think one of the things that this movie has been compared to is uh, Star Wars: The Force Awakens, right? Like, I, I feel like I compared it to that. Yeah, yeah. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's a pretty good comparison in the sense that uh, in the Star Wars: The Force Awakens, there's this kind of reverence to the original, right? Uh, although I think I would argue it's the tone of that movie is far better fitting uh, than the of the original than than this yeah. one is compared to the original Ghostbusters, but. Uh, there's also the introduction of new younger characters uh, and the, this idea of kind of handing off the franchise to a new generation. Um, and also, uh, let's say, similar plot beats uh, from you know the what? I, I original. I love that you're single-handedly ruining my Boom Goes the Dynamite joke. I'm so, so sorry. Please keep <laughs> going. So sorry. Okay. He does okay. that. Please. He All does that. that. Said, 
He starts yeah. talking and says all the things that you have queued things, up and have worked, worked yes. hours on. He yes. just off the t- off the cuff just <laughs> I sat them. in front of my notes app for thirty minutes. Yeah. writing this. Um, thing. Yeah. I'm sorry. Okay, okay. Let's pretend the last two minutes didn't <laughs> it's happen. It's fine. It's fine. Devinder Hardwar, what did you think of Ghostbusters Afterlife? Well, now now it's all been spoiled. This week I saw a movie steeped in nostalgia. <laughs> where a group of young people are forced to take on the mantle of their legendary elders after the ghost of a long-dead enemy appears and threatens to destroy them and everything they know. But enough about The Force Awakens. I mean, it's right there. Nice! It is right there. Bravo. Boom goes dynamite. It it is very much that energy. (laughs) And to, uh, you know, you you asked two other questions, Dave, so I just want to say I grew up loving Ghostbusters. I honestly think I... uh, I probably spent more time watching Ghostbusters 2 because I think that was the thing that was in rotation by the time like I was watching like uh, cable networks or maybe it was on TV once in a while. Uh, but my wife also loves Ghostbusters as her favorite movie. So we've ended up uh, rewatching it quite a bit. It's it's such a weird film, right? Like a lot of it shouldn't work, you know, bringing a bunch of SNL guys together giving them kind of a loose uh, story, but also a script that is very much like informed by people who um, are really into paranormal stuff. You know, Dan Aykroyd, this is, that was stuff he was really into. He was bringing his actual knowledge of the paranormal world into that. And then they turned it into a comedy and then the special effects were a whole other thing too. And they actually all worked, you know, it is such a perfect melting pot of a movie that, yeah, even those guys couldn't do it again. You know, so I think a part of me is just uh, I have accepted the fact that there will never be another Ghostbusters like original Ghostbusters. And that's fine. Uh, Ghostbusters 2, I think, is a lot of fun. Um, there's a lot, you know, there are cool sequences in that. I, I like the Statue of Liberty thing. Um, the 2016 movie, I, re- I forget how I like how we reviewed it. It did feel like another one of those um almost like improv level comedies, you know, like where we we're not really dealing with tight scripts anymore. We're kind of just letting people do their thing and cut the takes together. And maybe that's a movie and that's worked for a lot of films, but I don't, I don't think it necessarily worked too well there. I really like this movie. What? Everything going, everything going against it. You know, I, I was fully prepared. I did not like the trailers. Like I didn't like anything I was hearing about it. I, you know, I I heard that this is essentially about Egon's granddaughter discovering the Ghostbuster stuff. And it just felt so like, even the look of it, the trailers, it made it seem like Jason Reitman's making a Spielberg movie. Basically he's making a Goonies level movie, but kind of shoving Ghostbusters into it and rebooting it for a new generation. You know what? I wouldn't say it's fully original and I have a lot of issues with stuff they do towards the end, which I'm sure we'll dive into. But it's not a bad movie. It's in fact, uh, I, I had a lot of fun with it. I really like these new characters. Um, it is funnier than the 2016 movie, even though this, this movie isn't like a straight up comedy too. Like this is more of a family drama or dramedy that's funny at times. So like very much in the Jason Reitman, you know, fold of films. Uh, less funny than Juno, but kind of along that vibe sometimes. I like these kids. I like the characters. Um it's just like it, it was fun and it did enough like interesting stuff that kind of kept me aboard um there's never going to be anybody in these movies like with the level of energy of bill murray or something who basically makes that first movie for me and also the camaraderie between all those guys paul red kind of has to deal with a lot of that and be both the rick moranis guy and also like the the the, co- the cool guy or the the nerdy guy at the same time he he's trying to do so many things but i think he does a good job here 
I had a lot of fun with it, but we will certainly talk about the issues and spoilers because it does kind of fall apart at the end. Wow. Well, I am in shock. Uh, yeah. If there's anyone I predicted that would like this movie the least, would have been Devinder Hardwar. But you know what? The film cast is a place for surprises. Jeff Kanata, your thoughts on Ghostbusters franchise as well as this movie? Well, Dave, I guess you could say my thoughts on this movie are best summed up in the form of a limerick. And no, no other Dan, you've been on the one. podcast a couple times. I think yeah. I think you may recall that we do uh, well this this bizarre practice that we do. Yes. I've I've been looking forward to it. Uh, just that, that was one of the top reasons I was hoping you invite me back. Well, that this that ritual makes to keep the spirits us. at bay. You know, we must do it every episode. Indeed, indeed. Yeah. It, Dave is like our gozer, you know. <laughs> and I, I, I evidently am the keymaster. I like okay. to think of my, myself more as that guy You're in the, the painting. Vigo, oh, no. right? Yeah. His name is Vigo, the master evil, trying to battle my boys. Yo, that ain't Lego. <laughs> okay, please, please never do that again. Okay. Had been throwing a party for a bunch of children when all the while the slime was under the building, so they packed up and hold up, got a grip, came equipped with the proton packs in the backs, and they split. Love it. No? You don't want any of that? Okay. Mm, I, want I don't. More. Yeah. That's not my limerick. This is my limerick. Are you ready? <laughs> <laughs> the limerick goes thusly. It seemed it was getting so close to being more than nostalgia signposts. Ooh. But by the time it ended, its spirit was suspended in a trap with the franchise's ghosts. Nice. Very well nicely done. done. You incorporate, well the, done. incorporate the gadgets in there, Jeff? Yeah. Nicely done. It works nicely on multiple done. levels. Yeah. I like it. So just to back up, in case anybody doesn't know, I think it's, it's pretty uh, known by our, our listeners at this point, but Ghostbusters, the original Ghostbusters for me, I am that kid that we all know that memorized Ghostbusters, right? I, I, it, it was a huge, huge, huge movie for me. And it's a weird thing, right? Because Ghostbusters, the original, is a movie about a dude trying to have sex with a lady. Yes. That's what the movie's about. Basically. Right? It's, it's Stripes. It's, it's uh, what's, the, what's the camp one? Uh, the Bill Murray camp movie. Meatballs. Meatballs. It's, mm -hmm. it's, they're doing that movie again with this weird sci-fi overlay. But they're doing those movies. It's a movie about Bill Murray trying to have sex with Sigourney Weaver. And there's all these jokes about she's going to have sex with the nerd, with Rick Moranis instead. Oh, isn't that hilarious? The funny thing is she's going to have sex. He's the, key, he's the gatekeeper. <laughs> she's the key. Ah, it's hilarious. None of that, of course, lands on seven-year-old me or any of the seven-year-olds for whom this movie became a big deal. And I think despite You could say that wasn't the kid's movie, you know? Right. Well, despite <laughs> themselves, they made a movie that was a cartoon that was embraced by a bunch of seven-year-olds like me, that, that it became this thing that wasn't what they set out to make. They set out to make Meatballs and Stripes and... A, a, a movie about a dude who just happens to be doing this wacky sci-fi thing, but it's about a dude trying to have sex with a lady. Right? That's not the movie I saw at seven. I saw this incredible imaginative eighties yeah, effects yeah. and, and, and imagination, this, this trip into the imagination that sparked Crazy. my own. Mommy, what's happening to Dan Aykroyd in the bed? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Why is he getting a blow job? What is that about? Uh, the, <laughs> The uh, 
So, and, and you know, this cartoon, there's toys, the, it became this thing that it never was supposed to be, right? And as this, as this movie starts, this, and I, I can only guess that for the younger Reitman, the, the son of the director of this movie, it probably was that too, to yes. a certain extent, yeah. right? He is in the age range that I was in where this movie landed on an entire generation of kids in a way that I don't think the filmmakers ever anticipated. And I, what I loved about the way this movie starts is that it's, it totally, it comes from that place. And yet it seemed to be carving out its own identity. Like we didn't, yes, I thought it was funny as a kid. And yes, I quoted every joke, you know, uh, uh, Someone asked if you're a god, you say, yes, you know, go get her, Ray. All that's all the all the goofy fun lines. I quoted them because they are goofy and fun, but I didn't think of the movie as a comedy, right? And I think that's kind of the spirit from which this movie starts. It's like this stuff is is really real and grounded to, to these kids in this movie who were kids like me at that time who watched the original movie. And like I felt like he, Jason Reitman had captured some sort of ephemeral essence of that feeling. And, and I kept going, oh my gosh, he's creating a pseudo sequel to the original movie. Sidebar, caveat. Hilarious how no one ever includes Ghostbusters 2 in the... Whenever anybody's <laughs> continuing the series, Ghostbusters 2 is always ignored. Very no, funny. I mean, this is technically a sequel to Ghostbusters 2, FYI. Yeah. Yes. yeah. Is it? I feel yes, like this, yes. game, this movie ignores Ghostbusters 2 They, they didn't Halloween this. This is like, yeah, we assume that happened. This is mm -hmm. technically a sequel to Ghostbusters 2, although you'd be forgiven for thinking it's not, as evidenced mm -hmm. by the fact that, I don't know, why did Egon, for instance, remove the Ghostbusters with the 2 symbol on it? Yeah, yeah. Before putting the Ecto-1 into storage. Doesn't make any sense. Take a bunch of <laughs> stuff off sense. the top of it. Yeah. Well, but apparently think, there is an explanation for that. We just haven't found out yet. What's great about, Raymond, I mean, so. what's great about Ghostbusters 2 is that it assumes that, you know, Gozer and that mythos is not the only supernatural thing that exists in the multiverse, right? It, yes. Mm -hmm. That's why it, it expands the universe. And... In a large sense, Ghostbusters has always been a victim of its own success, right? Mm -hmm. I don't want to spoil anything about this movie, but there's a very specific moment at which, for me, this movie jumps the shark. Yeah. Yep. And it has yep. to do yeah. with the fact, it has to do with the fact that even in the context of the first Ghostbusters, Ray Stans thinks of the thing that is the least <laughs> scary thing, mm -hmm, but it, mm -hmm. it's because... When you and, think of whatever you think of is going to be the way you are destroyed, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But it became such an iconic there, part. <laughs> it became such an iconic part of the franchise that, like, it, it, instead of it being this throwaway thing, this goof about how random a thing it could possibly be, and the whole point is that it's random, it has to become, like, Fundamental part of, part of, of Ghostbusters. Anyway, that part. Yeah. Oh, so anyway, it seems yeah. like you you left this movie long before I did. I guess. So. Well, <laughs> yeah. I I <laughs> shock. I'm going to shock Dave and, and say I think this movie is mostly good. And I I have <laughs> I have uh, real um, conflicted feelings in the end about it because I cried at the end of this movie. 
Oh my thank, god. Thank god. I cried at the end of this movie, <laughs> but I feel bad about why I cried at the what, end of this movie. What is happening, guys? What is and, happening? Ah, uh, yes. I don't think I don't think the end of this movie does the movie any favors. Uh-huh. I think that the I think it is ma- the end of the last act of this movie is made for kids like me instead of the rest of the movie which is seems to be made for kids that weren't alive to be kids like yes they're Mm -hmm. kids now and i felt like that i I was so excited i was like oh my gosh this thing is sort of it's it is in the ghostbusters universe solidly but it's carving its own trail it's tonally very different it's 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 not trying to be a big broad comedy although there is kind of fun to paul rudd's kind of fun and funny Mm -hmm. uh but it's it's really trying to forge a new trail here while also using the bits and pieces that we know from what Ghostbusters is. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is really cool. And then it completely aborts that mission. It mm-hmm. absolutely aborts any attempt at having its own identity at the end. And it's such a shame. And even though it stirred in me something that is really deeply felt, I felt like it didn't deserve to do, or it's not even it didn't deserve to, it, it shouldn't have tried to do that. It was. Mm-hmm. It had a more noble purpose before it attempted to do that it, it almost seems like somebody pointed a gun at somebody and was like you know how this movie's gonna end right we're not gonna we're, we're not <laughs> yeah. gonna do the more whatever more interesting thing you're thinking of here we are going to copy everything that happened before because mm. that is how we make movies now people yeah i read a funny a review i read a funny review on letterboxd about how uh, Ghostbusters Afterlife continues the grand tradition of all Ghostbusters sequels, which is remaking the plot of the first Ghostbusters in increasingly shittier fashion. Um, but wow. I'm glad. <laughs> I'm glad that <laughs> apparently everyone on this podcast liked yeah. this movie. Every, everybody, take your proton packs, aim them right at Dave. <laughs> yeah, aim across the streams, streams, Dave. Yes, across yes. point them at me and throw contain. me into that ghost trap. Um, okay, wow, this is a this is a big surprise. I, I, there's so much to talk about in spoilers. I'll say briefly that I think this movie is a tragic miscalculation. I think that it is the logical endpoint of all the stuff that has been dismaying us about franchise and IP-based filmmaking over the course of the last couple of decades, uh, where it treats these this source material with a reverence that I don't know about whether or not it's deserved, but feels completely incongruous with that movie. Like it would be one thing if this movie was like, we're going to reboot Ghostbusters. We're going to make it into like a kind of Amblin style, JJ Abrams, super eight style movie where it's like, you know, kids with bikes, you know, in the eighties and going off and doing their own thing. And like the tone is going to be dramatically different. And it's like, okay, you know, say what you will about the tenets of new Ghostbusters, but at least it's an ethos, you know, and I would be like, okay, but that's respectable. <laughs> but the problem is that this movie spends so, so many minutes of its runtime referring to the first Ghostbusters film, right? Like it spent just direct visual references, um, characters are referred to, so on and so forth. And then, of course, you guys know many other things about the first many film are referred things. to as well, yeah. right? And and I just feel like uh, the the end result feels uh, like a kind of discordant mishmash of tones mm-hmm. and also doesn't really do much honor to what this new story they're trying to tell is. Um, I will say that 
and we haven't really spoken about her, but I think McKenna Grace, who plays the main the main character basically in this movie, she's great. Is awesome. She's great. She she's is great. By far yeah. the best thing about this film. I think and I think all the performances are I think solid. All the kids are great. Dave, I think I know what's really getting you in this <laughs> movie is that what's really uh, getting me. it's uh it's it's kind of a biopic about you. <laughs> okay. All right. Like how dare you? <laughs> I, I let's let's dive into that a little bit more in the spoilers or maybe after dark, but um but yeah, I, I think that I, I don't feel like any of these characters really had satisfying arcs i feel like many of them are unwritten um mckenna grace po- with possible exe- as a possible exception um so carrie I, coon, I think carrie coon did does some good work in this movie i'm but so that's in also, love with her you point I'm... a camera at carrie coon you're like yeah. here's some gibberish make a you know make something oscar worthy out of it and she'll do it i'm in love with her i guess I she's, it's so guess she's really fine. Fine. i agree that she does a valiant effort given what she has but anyway i uh, overall unfortunately was not a, a fan of this movie i'm glad you guys enjoyed it though um, but yeah, th- those are our overall thoughts. Um, no one is more surprised than me. Why don't we got dive into some spoilers so we can talk more freely about Ghostbusters Afterlife. Here we go. Now you're looking for the secret. Can I see this coming? No. But you won't find it because, of course... You're not going to see this coming. You're not really looking. I have been puzzling over how it works. You don't really want to work it out. Who's in the box? I have been dying to tell you. I want to tell you my secret now. You want to be fooled. All right, Dan Merle, why don't we start yes. with the end of this film? Because I think it's it's a little controversial. And I kind of want to hear what everyone thinks about this, right? Mm-hmm. So the biggest component of this movie that I think is is meant to really pull on the heartstrings is the fact that they bring back a reanimated corpse of Harold Ramis uh, in ghost form in, in, in this movie. And I've seen a lot of differing opinions of this online. It sounded like, based on the uh, pre-spoiler review, Dan, that you were a fan of this. I'm curious, like... How did the ending strike you, uh, and and what did you think of how they brought back Harold Ramis in this movie? I, I let me tell you, I was shocked because when the when the when we got through the cold open of this movie or whatever you want to call it, where we're with Egon, and we get past that scene and they didn't show him, mm-hmm. right. I literally was in my seat going, "Thank God, yes, we did not get another CGI <laughs> resurrection." <laughs> Of a dead actor, because I am not a fan of that. I really am not. I hate yeah. the Rogue One thing. Yep. I, do, I, 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 don't, I don't like de-aging in general. I, I just don't think it looks right. I was, the, I was the one dude after Mandalorian with the whole Luke Skywalker thing. I was like, I don't like it. I, just, it, 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 I don't buy it. I don't like it. So I was so happy they didn't do it. I, I, and I we got to. That I, I love the cold open. Like I actually really thought the cold open was really well done. Very intriguing. Cool. Yeah. Very well shot. Yeah. Well yeah. Done. And then the it way they make much sense. I mean, <laughs> he just sure. he he dies because his shit just failed. Is yes, that what ha- I think? I think that is the conclusion. Like yeah. it's a pretty but, uh pretty shitty way to go out. You know, I I, I would agree. I, I would mean, agree, but I think like just as a sequence, as a way to open this film, yeah. I thought it was like very intriguing. And also the way they kind of cut around showing his face, I thought was like, oh, that's yes. pretty cool. Yeah. Pretty yeah. cool, like pretty artfully done, I have to say. So anyway, go ahead. Go so ahead, we get to the end. You know that the, you know they're gonna come back. I mean, you, they, you don't write Dan Aykroyd into the movie, and I didn't watch the last trailer, which pretty much said they're coming back, right. and I'm glad I didn't. This mm-hmm. it's kind of like also the they've been promoting thing. the film too, like yeah. the the three yeah, dudes exactly. have been promoting it. These yeah. guys are still it's around. Like the Spider-Man of, thing, of course, yeah. they're in it. Yeah, yeah. Don't say yeah. The I don't. Thing. I know it's probably going to happen. I just don't. <laughs> I just don't need you to know. I just don't want to know. I don't want to yeah. know. And I'm glad yeah. that you know. So, but when we got to the end and they're doing the thing with the, the 
I mean, first of all, I was still kind of caught up into it because, you know, you've got the original three guys back. And then that shot where you see the hand come in on the proton mm-hmm. pack. And th- like that was the first thing I was just like, oh, my God, like <laughs> just the way it was done, the way it was shot, the reveal. I was like, I thought I didn't want this, but I want this. And I was like, but even still at that point, I was like, but I'm glad they're not showing his face. <laughs> but I think it was I think I honestly I think it was it was again it's it's I think the reason that I usually hate this stuff is because I find it cynical mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and cheap and lazy uh and it just it, it was really how it, it just was to show you that you can think you're against a practice but it's only it's kind of like what I said about the nostalgia thing in general I'm usually against the nostalgia grabs um but I, this movie is kind of like it's not the thing itself that I'm against. It's how it's used because just what they did, the fact that you could see that it was made out of love. To me, this looks like something that was made out of love. It wasn't like, oh, let's dig Ramus up, uh, you right, know, give right. the, make the fans clap and ring out some more money. It literally seemed like there was a, a a genuine desire. And maybe maybe I'm the biggest sucker on earth. I don't know. But to me, it seemed like there is a genuine desire to 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 pay tribute to his legacy as a ghostbuster that they never got a chance to do because he died. Uh, Mm. And, and also the way that the original three guys played it, Mm. that, you know, Harold that came up before the end of the movie, I thought was, I've never seen a movie do that before. It it literally said that before the credits. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I, it's just the way it was played, the way those guys played it. I, I thought that I could see, and again, maybe it's just acting, I thought I could see in the face of of um, you know Ernie Hudson and and Murray and Dan Aykroyd that they were maybe getting a chance here to do this, but it 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 was played so earnestly, and again they didn't overplay it. You know they didn't have him speak and give a speech or something. It's literally just I don't know. I, it was the one thing I didn't think I wanted, and then when they did it, I was like, huh. I I thought that it was a very beautiful tribute. I definitely think that there were components of it that could be argued as tasteful like they didn't use his voice for instance mm-hmm. like they didn't have some voice actor dubbed in or uh, like deep fake his voice and i thought that was nice because he's kind of a silent dude but i guess my opinion of it can be summed up as by by me making the following pronouncement which is one day after i am long dead if there is an opportunity <laughs> to make a video where i'm shown getting along with davindra and jeff <laughs> I'm telling you right every I'm making a public declaration right now that is against my will right now. Yeah. This, this would be after this would be after your early funeral, right? That's right. After Which my early funeral, I, <laughs> I, I am declining okay. the opportunity to have my image used in any way uh that makes it seem like you the three of us get along. Yeah. Um I now but, I definitely want to create a video to play <laughs> at your early funeral. <laughs> Just one I, more thing I want to I just want to show this tribute to Dave right right now. Here it is. I, uh this is the I, moment where Dave and Ginger <laughs> and I <yeah>. all <laughs> And just use the audio. Just it'd be like the Simpsons like one day I want you to make a video of all of us getting along. In accordance with Dave's own wishes, we have yes. created. Yes. I think it's complicated. I think it's complicated, right? Like mm-hmm. this is I think one of the most sort of in in your face examples uh and I'll I'll just say also the uh the sort of CG technology uh is pretty good. They they have it's good. it looks good. They have perfected yeah. the art of reanimating dead people. As uh, long as they for, don't speak, yes. For fun Here's and my question. Yes. Yeah. What is the uh what's the arithmetic 
that decides whether as a ghost you look like yourself or you look like fucking Slimer. <laughs> you know? I mean, oh, I see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's, what it's I mean? all based on karma, man. Like, there, how, there how much is a bad whole, stuff did you do? I mean, there's a whole caste system of ghosts that is yes. not remarked upon at all. I, I would agree yeah. with you. It presents, yeah. it presents very troubling implications. But yeah, you, I mean, I could come back and try to visit you guys, and all you see is like 14 hot dogs falling out of my mouth. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> I hear you. I hear you. It's okay, amazing. so Jeff, it seemed like you also had a strong opinion about how the end, like the the, the Harold Ramis stuff, played out at the end, right? Actually, I think I think Dan articulated it beautifully. I. I I I did not want it to happen, and I found myself weeping as it did. <laughs> wow! Uh, they got gotcha. you. They got gotcha. you. Yeah, I cried, dude. I cried. I, I thought yeah. it was. Um, I thought it was actually beautiful, and at, at the same time, I was like, "This is not the 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 original." <laughs> You're like, "This Ford, is not my future this, that I this want." Is wrong. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Pitch, you would have loved this. Um, the the uh, the the idea of having the original four or three Ghostbusters come back as Deus Ex Machina at the end mm-hmm. of this film is a bad idea. It's a bad idea for making this movie stand on its own two feet mm-hmm. uh, because literally that's what happens. I mean, they literally come in and save the day. I I mean, but I, I popped like a mark, right? I mean, that's it's that sequence is made for me. It's not made mm-hmm. for new mm-hmm. fans. And I think that's the problem, but also I'm me, so I popped like a mark. It's <laughs> it's it's crazy to see. I mean, I just we just came off of watching um, the French Dispatch, right? Yes, a- and thirty years of Bill Murray movies where he's not Peter Venkman, mm-hmm. and to see him like flip the switch and be Peter Venkman for for five minutes was just like, dude, he could still do that anytime he wants. <laughs> yeah, like he can just do that forward. Yeah, it's like when Harrison yeah. Ford came back as Han Solo. It's like, wait, he could still do that. Like, he could you still don't do just that. show up and be grumpy. Like, yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> I yeah. think that's mostly in the post credit scene, actually. Where how oh, that's that was funny too. that was kind of baller what they did because I w- I was sitting there, I was like, okay, thinking like chewing through this movie. I was like, I like most of this. That says Han Sigourney Weaver. We're like, wait a minute. And everybody <laughs> in my theater was like, what? And then boom to the scene. Perfect. This yeah. movie knows how to play us. Like it plays us like a fiddle. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, I, Divin- yeah, yeah, go, go ahead. ahead. Go ahead. No, go well, ahead. I was, was going to say, Divin, you any other thoughts, any other thoughts on the Harold Ramis thing? Cause I, I just uh, think it's complicated. Like it's complicated. Uh, Harold it's Ramis complicated. can't consent to his image being used in this fashion. Right. At least I, I don't think, I don't know if he, did. this is why actors have estates and whatnot and families. Like right. there are people who deal with your rights after you're dead. So that to me, that's not the problem. Um, I, I think they could have done it more artfully, maybe like like the beginning, like where you see the hand. Yeah, you could have you, you could get, have not seen his face, for instance. You could have not. Could seen have his face. The, you get a rear shot of just like yeah. all of them. You know, they could, yeah. have, take, they could have had that <laughs> lamp show up. <laughs> I love the, the lamp. The lamp be the fourth mm-hmm. member of the mm-hmm. team. That you know? was really mm-hmm. cute. I, I kind of liked all that stuff. Um, but yeah, it felt like it went a little too far. I expected, you know, the, the other Ghostbusters to appear because it's it's 2021, guys. Like, we live in a sea of nostalgia. Nothing can stand on its own two feet. Like, everything has to be supported by the pop culture of the past. So I, I kind of had made it a given that that was going to happen. But yeah, they they really gave a lot of screen time to fake Harold Ramis and even gave him a fake hug with Carrie Coon. And I just, I don't know. Uh, on the one hand, it felt like they went too far. On the other, I think this movie almost really like destroyed Egon as a character. Yes. Too, because he kind, kind of a shithead. 
isn't he? Like, he, yeah. uh, he abandons the Ghostbusters. He takes their stuff. And nobody's like, hey, dude, who we saved the world with uh, a couple of times. Why did you do that? Can, well, can we can somebody, you? Uh, Ray Stan yeah. says, like, uh, sorry, I didn't believe you, if I recall correctly. Yeah, or yeah. yeah. It's like, was guys, what, what weird... have you seen? You have seen everything. You should believe everything Egon tells you. Exactly. Um, so yeah. that whole backstory, I thought, was really, really suspect. And it did kind of ruin Egon as a character because I... I've loved Harold Ramis. Give me a cool nerdy guy, you know, taking down uh, paranormal shit. Like I am totally down with that. Now he is a guy who abandoned his family and betrayed the Ghostbusters. Like to me, that was a hard like kind of thing to get through. And um, and, and Janine yeah. moved out there to the middle of nowhere, yeah. but isn't his wife? Yeah. Like what's that I never about? Got the, I never got the, 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 the feeling that she, unless I missed a line of dialogue that she moved there. I felt like she was there like, taking care yeah. of his affairs like I, she I think that's may a, not yeah. have lived there but she was like the executor of his yep. you know yep. like oh maybe i misinterpreted took care I, of the day-to-day my, my takeaway was that she had like she was kind of he couldn't take care of himself because he was such a mad scientist that she had to be out there sort of managing his affairs but maybe it was only yeah, you could do that remotely yeah you could do that <laughs> yeah. remotely yeah. today but uh yeah the janine stuff uh it was nice to see her at the beginning but i I am kind of annoyed by what it did to Egon's character. Yeah. And they kind of save yeah. it at the end. We're like, he was right. He was right all along. But, uh, you know, his his choices kind of destroyed people's lives uh, you know, along the way. And then the Ghostbusters were kind of no help at all, really, in this whole thing. So that that whole part of the story does kind of get me. So to have him get this, like, momentous ending, I think that kind of helped. Because I had this feeling like, man, you guys destroyed Egon, and now he is like the ultimate savior. So I guess that's something, even if it goes too far. The other I will say in defense, of, in defense of it, though, Winston was always sort of the, you know, he was the blue collar guy. And, I, mm-hmm. and I, I think it made sense that there was a point at which he was like, you know, this is fun, but I, I, I sort of want to <laughs> build a life outside of this. You know, like sure, he sure. found the Ghostbusters. And, and Vankman... He always had one foot out the door. I mean, he was a Ghostbuster because it was like he, he was famous and it made him money. I could see him being like, yeah, I, yeah, I'm not going to. What, what know, is better marketing anymore. than saving the world again? You know, yeah. like, I, yeah, I don't, I, that's yeah. true. But Ray's the one that to me was the hardest to be like, yes, oh, man, yes. would, would Egon, would Ray ever yeah. really. It's tough. But, you know, if it's if that's what I have to grant the movie to sort of get to where we get to, then. I, yeah. I agree. It's a little tough because I was thinking the same it thing. ruins the brotherhood. They this? were brothers. Come on. Yeah. 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 Ray and Egon were the two. That's the hardest for me to swallow. Like that. They would have had this, you know, Spangler can burn in hell type. Mm-hmm. He's the heart and soul uh, of the Ghostbusters. Mm-hmm. Ray stands heart and soul of the Ghostbusters. Yeah. Um, the, <laughs> the other thing that the other way that this movie is, is similar to uh, Star Wars movies is, is that, uh, you know, nobody remembers any Jedi that were around. 30 years ago. That's, that's amazing. To, to, that, that's like a great commentary on like a uh, Gen Z culture right now, because I'm watching a lot of TikToks where people are like, can you believe they hacked phones with uh slidey whistles? Amazing. Yeah. 1 million views. That, that yeah. part is the least sort of unbelievable part of this entire movie. To me, <laughs> yeah. 
Yes. Because we, we are in a we live in a society where people are literally denying things that are actually happening right now in the real Did world. Did you guys today. see you know? there's somebody on TikTok who was like, the Roman civilization never existed. <laughs> it has this very like impassioned speech about them. Like, we are just we just want to be ignorant now, don't we? Yeah, I mean like, there's, that is there's our people privilege. like, you know, Gen Z's like kind of discovering what like 9-11 is. And you know, like there's all these people who like have no idea stuff that happened like yeah. 20, 30, 40 years ago. So that that to me does not strike me as unbelievable at this all. is funny it was um, absolutely yeah, funny yeah. yeah well and also i think that ghostbusters 2 sort of established that like many of the powers that be were very were very uh committed to discrediting the ghostbusters mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. you know who's to say that there wasn't some cabal of uh <laughs> you know the of people mm-hmm. needing to say like mm-hmm. we're gonna make sure that these guys are forgotten they're not gonna yeah. be written about you know it's it's some, some yeah, kind of again. deep state or institution. The, the, well, it's really, it's just the, it's the EPA. It goes all the way to the top of the EPA. This <laughs> time, you know? Walter Peck Straight is to now the, top. the president. Walter Peck, yes. Yeah. Um, well, if you would so, have told me that, you know, 30 years ago that uh, there would be a sequel to Ghostbusters where one of the characters was named the incredibly niche job that I have, <laughs> I would have been impressed, I guess. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that kid it. had pretty advanced... Equipment. I'm just going to put that out always, there. Like, always use a shotgun mic. I love it. Yes. Yeah. I love he's got so a shotgun much. mic. He's got a yeah. freaking field recorder. It's pretty pretty amazing what he's doing there. Uh, mm-hmm. Way These more kids sophisticated. nowadays, I'm telling you. Yes. They have great equipment. <laughs> way, I've, way more I've sophistic- seen sometimes. <laughs> uh, way more sophisticated than anything we use here on this podcast. Um, but, uh, Dan Merle, let's talk a little bit about Act 3 of this film. And now that we're in spoilers, I think we can reveal that it basically repeats... Almost beat for beat, what happens at Some, the end of somehow the Somehow Gozer returns, yes. everybody. Yes. Somehow yeah. Gozer returns, exactly. <laughs> this is my biggest and, qualm with the film. It was yes. also my biggest qualm with the, the Force Awakens, was that it, it got a little too cute and a little too referency. Um, and it's my biggest, you know, that's what I knock down the most because it's like, you know, the terror dogs, fine. I thought the little mini Stay Puffed guys were cute. That made me they laugh. Did. Terrible. But, yeah. but Terrible. when we got to the point, when we got to the point where they're like literally the the set from the end of Act Three of Ghostbusters mm-hmm. comes out yeah. of the wall, mm-hmm. um, yep. I'm just like, okay, we don't need to do everything. We don't need to do the keymaster and the gatekeeper again. I was really not a fan of well, that. Well, my my only defense of that is like if that's Gozer's like actual plan, and mm-hmm. it's just just another attempt at completing the plan, it it, it kind of makes thematic sense to be like. Well, Gozer had one way to return. Yep. It was for the keymaster and the gatekeeper to get together. It Every didn't work out in years, the 80s. It happens. You know? Yeah, it, it didn't yeah. work out in the 80s, but literally yeah. that's the only way for this to work. So <laughs> it's going to happen in the same way. You know, This I, I don't time, know. it'll yeah. definitely succeed. And uh, <laughs> no, I, who, I, I, who's the guy I, I, in the box, too? The, the founder of the town? There, there's a lot of like mythology just kind of floating around this movie that doesn't really make much sense. Yeah. Well, that was yeah. Evo Shandor, right? That was yeah, uh, J.K. Simmons. J.K. Was J.K. Simmons, Simmons yeah. in the movie for like two minutes, which I actually <laughs> liked when they when I saw that was J.K. Simmons. I'm like, all right, I see what it's going to be. Evo Shandor gets resurrected, and now he's going to be the bad guy and shooting lightning and whatnot. And I like that, like he he comes back and Gozer just rips him in half and is like, "You're yeah. not important. This is all about me." I actually kind of <laughs> liked that, and I thought that was some fun. St- what I assume is stunt casting, or they cut a huge part out of the third act of the movie. One of it, those. It two. feels like something was missing there. But yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it, the, the editing there did feel a little bit jumpy to me. But yeah, uh, uh, Jeff Canada, I think you had something else you wanted to say. Um, yeah, I mean, I was I was going to say that I, it, despite my defense of that logic, I I, I think it's a, <laughs> a huge mistake to literally do exactly. I mean, have 
<laughs> you, you have Paul Rudd assume the the Rick Moranis part, beat for beat. Mm-hmm. It's it's like almost exactly. It's we even it's need exactly. like they needed to introduce the <laughs> mini Stay Puft people simply to have one character be covered in foam at the end of the movie. That's the only reason. Yep. That all that happens yep. is to get them into the car so that it can get all over the kids mm-hmm. so he can come out in the exact same beat as the end of the first movie it's well, it, you, it's you know what Jeff? listen how else are we going to explain sex to kids these days you know i guess yeah I <laughs> we guess. need we need a new version of the key master and the gatekeeper but the, really like the new guy. stuff in the movie the 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 ecto one having a gunner seat love it love it fucking so cool. baller dude it's so rad i, I it was, looked bad in the trailers but i i dig it here yeah Oh, that's those sequences are so much fun. Like the idea of them, you know, the original Ghostbusters driving around New York with a gunner seat, it just evoked that idea in my head. And and how that sequence worked, like the little uh, remote control car version, all of that, when it was introducing new ideas, I just thought this movie was yeah. having a great time and I was having a great time with it. To be fair, the gunner seat would have never worked in New York. Have you driven in New York, Jeff? <laughs> it's just no. a, a way to more Not clearly yell at cabbies. You know, yeah. get out of the way. You're going to have to wait until he was in the middle of nowhere to uh, to do this. And also, that whole gunner seat contraption seems very precarious. Like, whoever's there, you make a wrong turn, you, you oh, lose yeah, a ghostbuster. Toast. Maybe you got a ghost instead. So, I guess I would say that that scene with the state of Marshall people <laughs> kind of encompasses everything wrong with cinema today <laughs> i mean it's oh, wow. it's the moment the movie jumps the shark for yeah. me i, I really felt like super product yeah. placement too it's like product placement within product placement plus nostalgia placement it is right. everything all happening at once yeah uh, all true i think the, po- the po- uh, point about jumping the shark is interesting because basically like that is the point when the movie kind of radically alters its tone and then starts yes. repeating the beats of the first film right? yes yeah. exactly yeah. um and because until then, it's been like a pretty sort of overall serious straight movie, right? And then it kind of goes off the rails because of the plot of the first one. And, and Paul Gun Rudd to their starts, head. I mean, yeah. it, it's he starts running like Rick Moranis, like the way it's shot is to evoke that sequence when Rick yeah. Moranis is being chased. Yeah. by. The, it's like Even, it, the but, movie but completely the reason, loses its mm-hmm. own identity and it becomes this mimicry. You, you made this point. Mm-hmm. You made this point in the pre-review, Jeff. But basically, like um, in the original Ghostbusters film, right? It was like you you must like kind of name the image of your destructor or something, something along mm-hmm. those lines, right? Like mm-hmm. like you need to you need to like give voice or form to the thing that's going to destroy you. And so he thinks of the most innocent, like uh, sort of helpless creature he can think of which is the state puff marshmallow man and that is why the state puff marshmallow man manifests itself in the city it could not be more arbitrary and unimportant to the fundamental design of gozer and the and the ghost right it's correct it is correct. as it is as non sequitur as possible that's the whole point here in this movie there is as far as i know absolutely no in movie explanation as to why those things Exactly. And only those. It's not like everything. It would be one thing if everything in the store started coming to life, right? But it's just those Stay Puft people. And it's like, is it, you know, maybe there's some. It's residual spiritual energy from the previous. Yeah, I was about to say, if I may, while we search for the logic. Defend this. Push up our glasses here. If I may, while we search for the logic behind the marshmallows coming to life. Please. I think that, I think it's very possible. This is cyclical. 
this happens many times before. I think it's very possible that uh, the the spirit of Gozer had a residual memory of the Stay Puffed Marshmallow Man yeah, coming to life. We puffed. also know mm-hmm. that Stay Puffed Marshmallows were present in the first movie on yes. in Dana Barrett's shopping bag when uh, Gozer was in her refrigerator or or the the, the Zool uh, the spirits or what or and whatnot. So I would say that that Gozer has a, a pre-existing connection to the Stay Puft Marshmallows that could perhaps have uh, latently activated while yeah. it was zooming through the store. Gozer well, knows how to make the perfect hot chocolate. Okay? Except for yes. the fa- I mean, okay, okay. But also, <laughs> I think that you have, if you're going to do beat for beat the end of the movie, right, you have given yourself an opportunity to create some new iconic image. Right. If you have Gozer once again, name the form of the destructor. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And these little kids come up with something. Yeah. Uh, you have but this given yourself an opportunity to actually form yeah. new iconography for your franchise instead yeah. of just mining the same old tired thing. They passed the I test. I don't though, disagree. Right? Right? Like they, they chose the other path in the cho- in the choose your own right. adventure story. Right. So yeah. we get to see how it goes the rest of the way. Yeah. Dan, Dan, you were saying you don't disagree? I don't disagree. Like I said, I think the film gets too cute by half, but I will, I will, uh, I will defend it where I can. I'm, I'm always somebody. When we were doing honest trailers, I was always the, the when we were trying to like you know point out poke holes and things. I was always the, the person that said, "Well, listen, you could make an argument, uh, just you know, to try to be the voice of reason in the room." But uh, in, well, in a general sense, yes. I, I again, it's was there a reason for those to be there other than the fact that it's probably the third most popular image in Ghostbusters history. Uh, no, no. I'm in only, reality, no, there was not. I'm yeah. only uh, I'm only voicing my displeasure so vehemently because of how much I had enjoyed the movie up to that point. Mm-hmm. I, I thought yeah. I thought the movie was mm-hmm. really kind of carving out its own identity and it just like gives it all up in, the, in that moment. I mean, even to the point yeah, where yeah. like I thought it was cool that it evokes a Slimer-esque creature, but it has a new idea, right? It's different. this muncher. Yeah. That, yeah. that actually is a setup and payoff, right? It, it lets them get into that jail thing to get yes. the proton pack. Like that, that's cool setup and payoff. That's good writing. That's that's mm-hmm. a smart, interesting new way to think about ghosts. It expands the universe. It doesn't just contract everything into the same tired beats. Mm-hmm. Indeed, Absolutely. I agree. No, no complaints about Muncher in this one. So Muncher, yeah. Muncher rules. Justice for Muncher. Um, yeah. If this was not a Ghostbuster movie, if this was just a movie about you know a family who was going through hard times and their grandfather just died, this weird stuff started happening. I think we like yeah. If it wasn't tied to everything happening in Ghostbusters at the end, like it wouldn't be Ghostbusters at the end, basically. But the the movie that is not Ghostbusters nostalgia, I think, is really good. Yeah, and I want to see more of these characters. So as far as like a reboot, you know, first century goes, they got me because I kind of want to see what they do and is how they build out this world. And maybe maybe they won't just bring back uh, what's his face, um, second Ghostbusters bad guy. Uh, they won't Vigo just Carpathian. Back. Yeah, they, yeah, maybe they won't back Vigo. But uh, maybe they could do something new, you know? I'm, I'm just going to go out on a limb and disagree with that assessment, you know, and just say that I, I don't think it would have been that good. Again, McKenna Grace's character is awesome, but like Finn Wolfhard, Carrie Coon, like none of them have arcs in this movie. You know, I don't think like they learn any valuable lessons. He, she learns literally her learns her father loved her. That her is, father it, isn't a shithead. Yeah, but like her, yeah. her character doesn't actually go through any growth of any kind. It's not, not even clear what her character is doing most of the time in this yeah. film. Like she's not, Th- this is, she, this she's is trying to get them out of poverty, yeah. but she's like, we don't know what she's doing she's during the out. daytime. 
she's it is like an 80s an movie yeah no but but like that movie is a comedy jeff like you <laughs> davinder was just saying davinder was just saying like you know if this movie was kind of like a i don't know coming of age story set in this universe or this kind of universe you know it would be good on its own and i'm like mm, i don't no, know don't know how I, I, feel about I, that, I think but. you're blatantly like you're dismissing a lot of what this movie is doing like i'm just saying that 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 the thing with the carrie coon learning her father loved her that's an arc may not be the best arc but it's an arc and uh phoebe like the kid who was stuck in her shell and kind of a nerd finds who she is you know she learns about her past and she finds out that she's not just some weirdo she's the granddaughter of a ghostbuster and she can save the world you know like those i, I think finn wolfhart's character just didn't have much to do like he's a teenager he's a horny teenager he's taking on the venkman role um but that, that that's kind of the only I, I big miss yeah. there yeah I, I don't really do i don't really think of those things you just said as arcs those, those are things that happen to those characters but like where they this grow? None of those characters faced any adversity that they had to overcome in any way. Like, yes, she's a she's kind of a, a sort of uh, you know yeah well introvert so introverted she's character. a dog. What? <laughs> I was doing a line from the movie. Yeah. Well, so <laughs> anyway, okay, well, now, the movie sets her up as somebody who doesn't have friends at the beginning and kind of a you know kind of a loner. Yeah, it, it didn't show that stuff, but yeah, she gets a yeah. friend and she discovers herself. Like, this is gross, Dave. Come on. <laughs> all right. All right. Fair enough. Well, I think uh, it's clear uh, where we all landed on this movie, but Dan Merle, I'm happy to give you the last word. If you have any other thoughts or anything we didn't get to, uh, happy for you to share uh, with the audience. Oh, wow. So much pressure, the last word. Uh, yes. What I will say is uh, I I do understand to a certain degree why many people were down on this movie. Although I, I was I was frankly surprised I had my whole show, my chart show today on my show was all about the sort of the critical reaction because mm-hmm. I was frankly surprised at, at how negative a lot of the critical reaction was. And I think it's because, like I said, because this has been done so poorly in the past, there's this knee jerk reaction to sort of paint it all as bad. But I, I really do think that there are, there are degrees of it. And, and for me, even though, yes, I agree, it did get a little too referency and could have been more original. I think you also have to look at the intent of something and it's sort of what I always said is like the ones that I don't like feel like they're trying to take something from me. I want your money. I want your affection. I want to take advantage of your love for something someone else did. Again, maybe I'm just a total sap here, but it really (laughs) honestly felt like this movie wanted to give me something. It wanted to say, Hey, we are, we are sort of repaying your love for this by trying to, give you a resolution to these characters. But I also think it's giving. I do think that one of the reasons why I don't mind that it appeals so much to a younger audience and it's not quite as adult as the first one is I'm hoping that it gives now a younger group of kids, their version of ghostbusters. And I hope Mm -hmm. that this, if they make another one, I don't want to see the original ones back. I would love Mm -hmm. to see these characters come back and we see the next generation of ghostbusters. Yeah, and, should and probably have a blowjob free Ghostbusters. <laughs> yeah, a blowjob. Maybe that should be. Let's give the next generation a blowjob free Ghostbusters. I think is really <laughs> what we should take that away from is with, the without quote. a sex yes. pest uh, main character. You know, yes. no sex pests, maybe, no blowjobs in Ghostbusters. No sex pests, yeah. no blowjobs. Uh, maybe still a dickless reference. I don't know, mm, but I, mm. I think the other thing is like <laughs> yes, that, yes, that we all that we all need to learn is. Um, I don't I don't really have any inclination to claw and scrape and hold on to Ghostbusters and say, this is mine. You can't have it. Like, I, I really would be perfectly fine at saying, like, mm-hmm. these are yours now. Go play with mm-hmm. it. It's like the end of Toy Story 3. Go play with your mm-hmm. toys. 
Mm-hmm. I've had my time and, and hopefully I'll enjoy this one too, but I, yeah. I, I don't know. I just felt a lot of love and affection here. And uh, I, I, I love was that. satisfied. I, 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 I'm, yeah, it's I'm, great. I think the way you express this notion of, of having so many bad versions of what they're trying to do here, uh, sort of, you know, informing people's reaction to, I think a kind of genuine version, I think is so spot on. I, I think mm-hmm. you said that really well. You know, here's you what know, I'm gonna, yeah, go ahead, Devendra, go ahead. I will say, I understand where you're coming from, Dave, because if you look at this movie without like attaching to the characters or anything, right? It is, it is clearly a sign of everything that is wrong right now, right? It's like, we can't come up with new ideas. We have to redo the old stuff. And um, when I was watching this movie, you know, in the very back row, there was like a group of people who would just like clap at every <laughs> single Ghostbusters reference. Like, mm-hmm. like, like they could hear them, you know, through the, through the screen. Like they just, they really wanted to show they knew those Ghostbusters references. And I think there are a lot of people out there and I don't know how healthy that is, but <laughs> Hey, this is a movie that can both, I think, bring in a new audience and uh, keep, keep those people at bay. I hope. I don't know. <laughs> Well, here's what I'm going to say positive about the film is Jason Reitman is one of the most interesting writer directors in Hollywood, in my opinion. And the problem is not with Jason Reitman. It's with us. It's with humanity and the movie going public. Uh, mm-hmm. And that's why movies like Young Adult and that's why movies like Tully and that's why movies like The Front Runner didn't do well is because sure. there's no demand. People didn't show up for those movies in the box office. And He's also had kind of a bad run. Like, let's let's not... Let's not over like right forget right, but that, that. Like, you know and that's a huge bummer that yeah, yeah. I, I think you know Labor the way Day the is one of the most ridiculous movies I've ever seen you Which know movie? so <laughs> Labor, Labor Day, Day. Yeah, yeah 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 um but uh here's the thing you know whether he returned to this franchise by necessity or out of love or nostalgia or whatever the fact of the matter is the movie did very well at the box office this weekend mm-hmm. especially get, compared to how much it cost and it's going to buy him some juice and he's probably going to be able to use this to make whatever he wants to do next or the next one of these that he'll hopefully spend not making as much references to the first one, you know, the first movie, uh, whatever the case, I'm glad mm-hmm. that Jason Reitman uh, is going to be able to get more work yeah. after this. Cause I think he's I'm, genuinely a really creative and talented person. So I'm, I'm glad he got this win, but I will also say like, man, you look at the credit of like, huh, Jason Reitman got to direct a Ghostbusters movie. Wonder how that happened. <laughs> Hollywood sure is a meritocracy, isn't it, guys? Mm, mm. Like, there's there's a lot of red flags on this, and to the fact that I enjoy this movie so much despite those things, and I, I want the best for him. But also, what a, what an easy win in a way too, right? Like, if you want to rebuild your career a little bit, g- g- give me a little Ghostbusters. You know, let's get some Ghostbusters action because people will definitely pay to see that movie. Well, at the end of the day, it's pretty impressive that Jason Reitman made a movie. So, uh, and I think with that, we can wrap it up here on the Filmcast for this week. You can find more episodes of the Filmcast at thefilmcast.com. Email us at slash filmcast at gmail.com. Our theme song comes from Varsity Blue, the newest project by Tim McEwen from The Midnight. And our spoiler bumper comes from filmmaker and YouTuber Kyle Corwith. Our weekly plugs music comes from Noah Ross. This episode was edited by Baby Zhang. Dan Merle. People can find your work over at youtube.com slash Dan Merle Movies. Uh, I check it out regularly. Anything else you want to recommend uh, people can check out of your stuff? 
Oh, of my stuff. Uh, yeah, pretty much everything's there on YouTube. I also have a, a podcast channel. Uh, you can just search for Dan Merle Podcast wherever you like to listen to audio. So if you prefer to listen to your stuff, everything I do on YouTube is also available in audio form. And uh, yeah, this is a great time for going to the movies. So if you're looking for a great movie, I can promise you it's out there. It's in the theaters. It's streaming somewhere. It's on Netflix. Go find it because this is one of the best times of the year to be a movie fan. I am a subscriber to the Dan Merle Online Cinematic Universe. I would recommend you all out there uh, subscribe to his stuff as well. Uh, Super insightful. Thank you so much for joining us today, Dan. We really appreciate it. Next week, we are going to be discussing Tick, Tick, Boom, which is streaming right now on Netflix. Be sure to check it out. Again, hope everyone has a happy Thanksgiving this week. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you later. With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply.